minute remaining in the period. Face-off won by Cornell yet again. Wilcox over to Ryan. Picked off by Detroit. Here comes Detroit and Day. Day wide open for Giant score! Top shelf, Anthony Day! What a finish from Day, but what a pass from Frankie Detroit. Right to the stick of Day, and Day the critical finish. 49.8 seconds. <laughs> Dazer. What's up, buddy? What's going on, Steve-O? Anthony is in the building today, filling in for Don, who is in the basement with Scurvy. And as I was playing that, that, that State of Love and Trust, I had one of my favorite Pearl Jam thoughts, and that is when a young Dazer was just a wee little boy and would sit in the back of my car and we'd be driving around and he would say to me, Steve, will you play the Hey Na 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 song? And I always think of that every time I hear the State of Love and Trust. Yeah, that song, I always that always was like the one that always got me when I was younger, and I still always think about that too. It's uh, it just caught me early. I remember your your kind of intro jams were that and Once and Animal. I think. Yeah, I loved Once. I'd say Once was like the next one probably, and then Last Kiss was like the first one I knew the lyrics to, just because I had that one. What was it, that one single, right? It was that and one other song. Soldier I can't think of, of it. Love. Yes. So I remember I had that one. You might have just, like, gave it to me as, like, just to have something in my own room. You know, like, you always want something in your own room when you go home every, like, when you, like, leave your brother's room. Our friend Matt was at the show that that Soldier of Love was recorded at. Wow. With Stone saying cha-cha-cha at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. funny because the one I think I I think Soldier of Love is either on my one time list or my two time list, and I remember at the one show that they played it, when it ended, everyone said cha cha cha. That's sick. Yeah. yeah. So, so like those, I would say yeah, those three, three, those three thongs: Stay Love and Trust, Once, and then Pilaskis. You had a Pearl Jamish week this weekend. Tell us about Global Citizens. Yeah, it was awesome. It was. Um, my roommate's sister works for Global Citizen, so it was nice to uh, be able to get to go to the show. It was really cool to. Um, it's just a really cool day, you know. Like I got there on like four o'clock probably, and like as soon as I got there, Metallica was pretty much ready to go on. So that was cool to see them. You know, I think they played around the like eight songs, and then Kendrick Lamar, who I really don't know a lot about, um, he was on, but he was like fun. He was like a performer, so that was cool. Watching um, at home, I hated that. It went on for yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, just, I, I mean, I'm indifferent. I, I know a lot of you know a lot of kids my age or a lot of my friends. They like like Kendrick Lamar, but I never really knew anything. Like like Kenny's my rap guy. He tells me all the rap songs, and I just never really got any Kendrick Lamar from him. So I didn't know anything. But Rihanna was was unbelievable. She sang like, "Diamonds in the Sky." <laughs> Yeah, she was ridiculous. I, it was uh, I was so impressed, and I saw Beyonce there last year, so like I guess I saw both of the top you know females in the game really back to back years, and Rihanna was miles ahead of Beyonce. Realistically, how many songs do you think Rihanna sang? Like, um, a- like actually with her voice, actually sang yes. If she played uh, eleven, I'm guessing eleven, twelve, maybe like two or three, probably. I don't understand that. But no, but she she's always t- like 
she'll have it on during a song, but like not sing a lot of the parts, but like half of it. So she does a lot of like half songs where she's singing it. I just like her, her mic's always live, I guess, but she's not like she'll miss like a lot of por- like some decent portions. Like, when, but still, every song she's like getting into it. Like when I went to see Britney Spears with Tammy on her honeymoon, if she sang two songs, honestly, I think she sang one. A, a slow song that she just stood there and sang. And I think that's the only time she actually sang. And I was talking to Tammy about it after. And I'm like, wouldn't you rather less dancing and her singing? And Tammy said, no. And I, I just don't understand. <laughs> no, I'm giving Rihanna. I'm, no, I gave, no, I'm giving her more credit. She she sang a lot more than I think Britney Spears ever would have ever. I mean, Rihanna still sang a lot. More than Beyonce. So whatever that means. But, yeah, and then obviously, and then obviously Eddie. Seeing Eddie with Chris Martin because I I'm a Coldplay guy too, you know that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was still, it was still, you know, kind of the Eddie show. It was like Chris Martin, you know, play the piano, say a little bit, but like, uh, like it was like Eddie's gonna sing most of it. So it was cool to get a lot, of, like a large portion of Eddie. Yeah. Um, you know, I love. And then the, Don't Dream yeah, It's sorry. Over. That's one of my favorite songs. Um, that's you know, it's like probably in my top ten non Pearl Jam songs. Don't Dream It's Over. So and. Eddie is a like huge buddies with Neil Finn, who's the singer of Crowded House, which Don't Dream It's Over is uh, originally by. And you know he's played over the years, um, Throw Your Arms Around Me probably the most, and a Split End song, which was another band that Neil Finn was in. Uh, he played a song called I Got You that I seen in Pittsburgh, which was really cool. But I had never heard him by himself or Pearl Jam play Don't Dream It's Over, so that was really cool. And I thought the dueling lyrics between him and Chris Martin was really good. Uh, yeah, it, it, it matched them well, I yeah. thought. Um, and, and, and then obviously for great. Eddie to yeah. kind of carry it, when it at the end when it kind of gets going more, it was great. Yeah, and Nothing Man was awesome too. So. Yeah, I mean, that's always great. That's top of my list usually. So I didn't really um, care for People Have the Power or whatever, but whatever. Yeah, but like people at that thing got going for that, you know. It's like, you know, a lot of them didn't know the first two songs, but like any song where you can just chant people have the power, like people could go in for it. So that was cool. And the next night I went to Beacon theater for Jackson Brown had some sort of event for gun violence. And, and Eddie was there. He ended up only playing three songs, which sucked. Four. Four. Yeah. I guess four, you know, yeah. I would have hoped for a couple more, like six to eight. I was what I was hoping for, but I mean, it was whatever it was. Tickets were relatively cheap, so it was just kind of cool to like go see him the next night again too. So, and you did get to um, see "Don't Be Shy," which is yeah, uh, and, and Jackson Brown played that Bruce um, forty one yep. shot. Yeah, I love that song too. So it was cool. Who is there besides Jackson Brown and Eddie? There's a couple others, right? Yeah, but I honestly couldn't even say their names. How, the one lady was a country singer, and then I don't even know the other two. How is the Beacon? Really cool. Really cool, and I was at Radio City like last earlier last year, and it was it was on that level. It was pretty cool. Setlist.fm says Eddie played Masters of War, Don't Be Shy, I Am a Patriot, and People Have the Power. Yeah, yeah, the I Am a Patriot was awesome, actually. All right, let's start the show. It's season six, episode twenty-seven. We'll call it September 29th, two thousand sixteen. Really good interviews today. Kyle Brandt. A uh, long-time executive producer of the Jim Rome Show and now one of the hosts of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network makes his debut. Uh, we talked and talked and talked. My original plan was to put Kyle first uh, and our other guest, Alan Steppenwall, uh, television critic for HitFix.com, uh, long-time critic of the Star-Ledger at HitFix Now. 
and the author of uh, one of our co-author of one of our book club books of the month. And I figured we do Kyle, and then we do a book club update, and then we would do the interview with Alan. But since the interview with Kyle is so long, I think it probably fits better second. So what we'll do is Anthony and I will do three things in a minute here. And then we'll do the interview with Alan Seppenwall. We'll do a quick book club update after that. And then the Kyle Brandt interview will be after that. It's 50 minutes long, but like Kyle said, we were texting after. And he's like, we were just getting going. Um, it, was, it, it was really good. And Alan was good too. Anthony, there is no harder guest to book than the TV critic. Yeah. TV critic is impossible. Why? We, there's so many, I have no so many idea. people wanting them. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. I think part of it is like to do their job, they have to be watching TV. True. You know, and there's a shitload of TV. So I know that they have a lot of time in a day where they have to be watching TV. And I'll say this, and I don't mean to say anything disparaging about Alan. Alan's a very ni- he was a very nice guy. It was nice of him to do it. And we had Daniel Feinberg on before, who's another really famous critic. Those are the only two critics we've had one time each. Uh, Daniel, maybe like in 2011 or 2012 ish, and now Seppenwall. And I've tried and tried and tried since then to get anyone that works in that field, and and it just doesn't work out. They they say no and no and no. And part of it is they're not the most. They are socially awkward people. I feel like I think they're yeah. they're nerds. I you know, and I say that respectfully, um, as respectfully as you could say it, I guess. Um, but. You know, like so many other times, they're trying to sell. Bo- he's trying to sell a book, uh, so I talked him into it. Um, and and I don't know. I felt like he had fun. I don't know why he wouldn't want to do it again. But who knows if he'll ever be back? But uh, it was definitely great to have him. His episode by episode reviews of Sopranos and The Wire are probably the best things ever written about television on the internet. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, and uh, he's an unbelievable critic, and I'm glad to have him on. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll do three things. Then we'll do uh, Seppenwall. We'll do the book club. Uh, we'll do Kyle Brandt. And then Anthony and I will uh, finish the show uh, with one last thing. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a piece. I'm going to play that again. It was a little quiet at first. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. So Josh Gordon was five days away from returning to the National Football League or being eligible to. Uh, And then word broke earlier today that he is entering rehab and is not coming back. Has there ever been – well, I guess there has been. Let's not be hyperbolic about it. But, man, what a wasted talent Josh Gordon has been, huh? I I can't believe it. I was actually watching – a preseason game when him and Terrell Pryor were kind of lighting it up. And I actually forgot how big Josh Gordon was. Like, it's been so long since I saw him play. Like, I knew he had that huge year. 
but I kind of forgot even like how he played or the type of receiver he was. And then I saw him in the preseason. I was like, this guy's massive. Like, what a talent. And then just see him do it again, it's just it's too bad. You know, some guys just can't get away from that stuff. He had a couple tweets. He says, under some pressure and stress recently, had to take a timeout for myself. Sometimes you have to do what's best for you. Thank you. See you soon. Uh, the Browns said, quote, we support Josh in taking this step to seek additional help and treatment. His singular focus must be on his own health. We want nothing more than for Josh to be the successful personally and professionally and will not comment on his status with the organization at this time. Uh, the NFL also uh, released a statement and they said, our concerns with Josh's well-being, we will not comment on his status with the team. So, so hold on. Is, is he suspended then still? Or, cause, or is he like, when he gets out of this, is he good to go? Or is he being suspended even more now? Well, my, I don't think he's failed the test as far as I know. This was just like, like his own discretion. I, that's what it seems like at this point. Okay. All right. You know, so then, I mean, okay. So if he gets clean, he can like come back and play right away. There's no. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Like as of this point, as far as the information that's out there, and we could hit stop on this, and you know, 15 minutes later, we might find right, out right, there's right, another right, failed right. test, and I don't know what would. It might be another year. Then I don't know where he's at with all that. Jesus. But um, you know, as of right now, I don't have that information. So, you know, it's too bad too because. The Browns, who are 0-3, obviously. They're one of four teams that are 0-3. But it was like the one thing that was awesome was Corey Coleman. He breaks his hand. He's out for three to five weeks or whatever. you know. And then we see Pryor emerge. Looks like a really exciting player. And the idea of like him and Josh Gordon just seems so cool because Pryor can throw the ball. And it's like, wouldn't it be cool if he kind of... You know, I'm sure they have a pack. They had a package. They're just drooling over the idea of like having the two guys split outside, and then prior motions into the backfield and throws a bomb to Gordon. And I mean, that's going to be on hold. It's going to be a long season for the Browns, who you know, who have already lost RG3. We mentioned they lost Corey Coleman, um, and they're also just months away from trading away the rights to Carson Wentz, who you know <laughs> looks like he's the next coming of Peyton Manning at this point. Seriously. So the hits just keep coming for the Browns. J.J. Watt went on IR this week, so it looks like his season is probably over, which is disappointing. I did notice in the Thursday night game against the Patriots that I didn't notice J.J. Watt, and that was maybe the first time I've ever watched the Texans game and didn't notice J.J. Watt. So Yeah, they're shutting him down, right? I mean, he needs to get right. You can tell, I guess. It's, yeah. He just doesn't look the same, so it's good for him to just, to, whatever, just to shut it down and, and, and get 100%. There's no reason having a guy like that if he can't just go the way he wants to go, you know? So The last I heard, like, every option is on the table for him. Could be another surgery, uh, maybe not Let's another see. surgery. You know, the NFL, the NFL Network... It's really pissing Eliminate. me off because they're another site Delicious now that has videos that just start. Like we're we're listening to how much money Marin saved by switching to Geico. This because you couldn't stop it or skip it or anything. And like I have videos muted on the page, but that just played audio. So sorry about that. NFL.com just has pop-ups that you can't stop. Because uh, I wanted to talk about De- I wanted to talk about Des Bryant who had another interesting week. So he gets hurt in the game on Sunday, comes back, scores a touchdown, his first touchdown of the year. Team keeps saying they're going to have an MRI, 
It was supposed to be on Monday. It didn't happen. It was supposed to be on Tuesday. It didn't happen. So he finally goes under the MRI on Wednesday, and it turns out he has a slight hairline fracture in his knee. So we'll get to that. Uh, but then it comes out today that he missed his MRI and a team meeting and had to be fined. So it's another guy. I don't know what's with wide receivers in this league, but... Yeah, they just can't, you know, stay away from just being a distraction and just a constant, constant nag on it. Like you got to figure by this, by this time in his career, he'd be like, like figure it out. Like you know, how I many? What is it? His fifth year? Yeah, fourth so he, year. Here's like, a quote from his coach. Right after the game on Sunday night, he got some information about his knee and suspected it was a serious injury. He's a very passionate guy, like we've talked about, and he really thought he was going to get some bad news when he got the MRI on Monday. Like some of us do in life at times, he avoided it and didn't come in to take care of his business on Monday or Tuesday. Then he came on Wednesday and took care of that part of it. Uh, We got the information he suspected. It was worse than the information that we got. So he then described him as day-to-day and week-to-week, which means absolutely nothing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, year-to-year. Yeah. What what, what does that even mean? Yeah. So we don't know how long he's been out. Uh, To his credit... Uh, He did tweet, uh, I made a poor decision based on how I felt about my knee. Coach JG addressed it to me, and I understood the consequences. Uh, So we'll wait and see on Des Bryant. Uh, What's up with that? Uh, What else football-wise? Anything catch your eye? Um, I'm excited for this Louisville Clemson game. I think that's yeah. There's just, three you know, going to call the college. I think there's some good college games. So I'm I'm big into college football. I think that Louisville game is gonna be sweet. There's three um, games this week of uh, ranked versus ranked, right? Um, yeah, it's Washington Stanford's the the late game. That's a Friday game. Yeah, I love watching. And there's McCaffrey. one more. Love watching McCaffrey play. Yeah, Super yeah. Fun. I mean that that team. I, I don't see how they don't kind of just sneak into the top four right i don't think there's much trouble out there but louisville i mean they've already kind of proven themselves the florida state but if they went if they come in there and blow out clemson then like i wonder they, if, i mean they're a legitimate playoff team already I mean, and they'll cruise there i mean louisville could be for real for real i wonder if louisville ohio state and houston are all going to find out that this win they think they have is really good isn't because oklahoma and florida state both suck yeah, I wonder if that's that, a possibility. I was thinking that about Florida State, but I watched them last weekend, and I mean they still have Dalvin Cook. I, I can't see them really like slowing down because that guy can just take it the whole way every time he has the ball. So, so it's I don't it, know, maybe Oklahoma, but I think Florida State will still kind of finish strong. I mean, that, I mean they, I don't, I don't see them just folding. So it's next May, and you're up in the draft, and you're a GM, and no running backs have been taken. Are you picking Cook or are you picking Fournette? Oh, man. I'll take Cook. It's a close call. Now, if you're. Fournette, Fournette's a big guy that gets hurt, and that just that throws me off because he shouldn't be this. Like, big guys that get hurt kind of scare me. And, and Dalvin's like a smaller guy who's strong and has stayed healthy. So, something scares me about a big running back that's, like, nagging. It doesn't make sense. If you're either one of those guys, why don't you just stop playing right now? Yeah, you can't. For that. You can't make the playoffs. Neither team is making the playoffs. So yeah. why, why play now? And if one of them decided that, would you think it reflected poorly on their character? 
Would you hold it against I them? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be tough just to say. I mean, that's that's tough. I I would definitely have a negative view on that. Yeah. I just think, you know, you owe something to that program, to that team, to your teammates. Yeah, you can't. That's the ultimate selfish move. I mean, I would get it if he'd maybe talk to the coach and say, hey, like, do you think we can limit a little bit? Maybe you know, not but, 35 carries a game. Right. Yeah. Don't bury me. But, right. like, I mean, you can't just say that's it. Like, I can, ha- I can see him having the conversation say, hey, like, you know, let's back off a little bit, you know. It's the first London game this week, and the 0-2 and two Colts will face the 0-3 and three Jaguars. Oh, or, excuse uh, me, the 1-2 and two Colts. I don't know I said 0-2. That'd be impossible. 1-2 and two Colts versus the 0-3 Jaguars. The Saints, man, they got embarrassed on Monday Night Football, and someone texted me and said, I bet you won't talk about them on the podcast this week, or tweeted me. Uh, and I will. Look at I know this is going to sound like an excuse, but when your eighth cornerback is taking snaps – and you don't have your strong safety, and you don't have your weak side linebacker, and you don't have your nose tackle, I don't know if you have a chance, especially when, with all those guys, it's still not a great defense. You know, and every team has a tipping point with injuries, and the Saints have reached theirs on defense. There's just nothing they can do. You just can't win. You can't win with those players on the field. Their best cornerback right now is a guy named Sterling Moore that they picked up off the street and has been on the team for two weeks. You know, you, you, and, and they have two undrafted rookies. I mean, these are guys that they thought would be projects. You know, their top two corners, one got cut before the season started because they wanted to put him on IR and he refused to go on IR. So they got zero games out of him, Keenan Lewis. And Delvin Bro played one, one half. The third string DB played a game and a half, had to get carted off the field in New York and uh, has since went on IR. I mean, you just can't, you can't stop the pass when you have your sixth, seventh, and eighth DB on the field. You have no strong safety in Kenny Vaccaro, who is probably the best player on the defense and obviously the key to stopping the run because they couldn't do that. And, you know, for Drew Brees, he went over 300 passes without a pick and he throws one, and it costs him a chance at winning the game. He has to be perfect all the time, and you just can't be. And until the defense does something to give them a chance to win, they won't. And on top of that, they're giving away a touchdown a week on special teams. You know, two weeks ago, it was a block field goal in New York. And last week, it's 7 nothing. They actually get a 3-0 and stop. And then the gunner runs into the punt returner, mistake number one. And then number two picks up the ball and fumbles. You know, so there's just no way to win like that. You know, and they've done things that are winning football, especially on offense. Uh, but you know, you can't. Win. You can't win. Yeah. Just to give you some spin zone here, like I know how much you hate the Falcons, and it sucks losing on Monday Night Football. But at least it was the worst rated Monday Night Football game ever. So I don't think a lot of people watched it. You had the presidential debate to take the heat off the Saints. And the second uh, worst Monday Night Football game ever was the Saints and Falcons game in 2007. Jeez. Yeah, well, at least no one really watched it. But, yeah, it's too bad. I, I feel bad for Breeze because you're right. He has to be perfect, and it's just tough to to be perfect when, you know, there's just that much pressure. So Now, the good news bad. is, you know, the first two losses were by four points. They could have won both of those games easily. They are a much better team than they were last year. They're still young, but they do have a ton of cap room next year, and they got the Breeze contract sorted out. And I think... You know, the mentality has to be just get better every week this year 
And we're going to get some help. We're going to spend all that money on defense next year. You know, they have dynamic they have dynamic wide receivers. I mean, they have done they've made some mistakes in evaluations like signing Jarris Bird, like Jarris Bird is awful. Awful. Mm. Um but uh man, do they make some wise decisions with wide receiver and Brandon Cooks and Mike Thomas and Willie Sneed, it, it might be the best trio of wide receivers in the league. And then Tommy Lee Lewis, who's an undrafted guy who's getting some snaps, is a really good fourth guy. And Cody Fleener is on my shit list because apparently he has a 10 cent brain, but he's he's getting it. And once he picks up everything, I mean they look they have the most the most yards I think already in the NFL. Drew Brees leads the league in passing yards. He has over a thousand yards passing already. They're going <laughs> to score a lot of points. They're going to score 27, 27 points. So you score thirty two points at home, and it's not even close to enough. That's that's frustrating. But there you go, Twitter tough guy. Uh, I laid it all out for you right there. So, uh, second thing this week, finally, finally, it's the last week of the baseball season. And there was a chance going into yesterday uh, that that there would be a five-way tie for the second wild card in the American League if everything broke just right. And before I had a chance to think about how cool that was, uh, one of the teams lost and it's no longer a possibility. Um, but before we get too far into that, I guess we do have to address just the unbelievable sadness of what happened on Sunday. So, huh, rest yeah. in peace, Jose I mean, Fernandez. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, that was awful waking up to that on Sunday. It's just, it's just tough. It's, it's crazy. I mean, like, like he's younger than me, so that, that kind of hit home to me more than, you know, not to you know, to, you know, speak lightly of other deaths of celebrities or athletes, but you know, this is kind of the first one where a guy's been so loved and he's actually younger than me. So it was just like, damn, you know, it, shit can happen like that so fast, and, yeah, and just that, to see, and just to see the reaction of everyone in Miami, it like makes it makes you like really feel like how much he meant to them. It's it was crazy the influence he had on them at just a young age too. A 1992 birth year, a superstar in the game. Jeff Passan wrote a heartbreaking column. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, where like one of Jose's friends was like texting with another one of the guys on the boat. Oh yeah, like, I saw that. Kind of like oh. begging like them not to go out, and just a devastating thing. And man, how cool is D Gordon the next day though? Oh my god, I couldn't believe it. First home, That's just... first home run of the season. What did he say? He's like, if y'all didn't believe in God, yes. I've never had a ball that far in my life. Like better start believing or something. It's unbelievable, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But rest in peace, Jose. That's yeah, absolutely. That's awful. Uh, on the positive side, it's a grind. This you know the baseball season can be a can be a grind for sure. Uh, and all of a sudden, seems like this happens every year. It's like all of a sudden the grind is over and it's here. You know, it's right. Off time. Yeah. Last and, week out of nowhere. You know, honestly, there's few things that I love as much as baseball playoffs. Like, the baseball playoffs are one of my favorite things on the sports calendar. Now, I love every night being able to sit down and watch intense baseball. And I I love it. I love the walk-offs. I love the pitching performances. I love everything about it. And I can't wait. There's some great storylines. I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs are going to face the winner of the wild card in the NL. And that's going to be either the Mets, uh, the Giants, 
or the Cardinals. And I think if you're the Cubs, you don't want any part of the Giants. I know know they've had an awful second half, uh, but I still think you don't want to see Bumgarner twice in a a five-game series. It's an even number year. Yeah, so and it's an even number year, exactly. So I don't think you want any part of that. And the Dodgers and the Nats are going to play in the first round, which is maybe a matchup of the two best starting pitchers in baseball and Kershaw and uh, Max Scherzer. Uh, so that's going to be really cool. So that's kind of the National League. And obviously the story of the National League is, you know, is this the year for the Cubs? Uh, and then in the American League, the three teams that are going to win the divisions are really close. You know, any of the three can still get home field in the AL throughout the playoffs. Um, and a big story there is going to be how will Big Poppy's career end with the Red Sox? You know, how's that going to go down? Is it going to be in a World Series uh, with the Red Sox against Theo Epstein and the Cubs? Uh, and then there's the Indians and uh, Francona. Can he lead another team uh, to a World Series? And can Cleveland get two championships in the same year? Uh, and then, of course, there's the Texas Rangers, who are maybe maybe the best team in the American League, but you don't hear a lot from them because they're, you know, the Texas Rangers. And then the wild card situation there is still wide open, but I think ultimately it's probably going to be the AL East teams in Toronto. Toronto should get one of the spots, and then uh, the other uh, spot, you know, right now would be Baltimore. Um, but we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to see in the end. And... uh Anything you're pumped about for baseball playoffs? I'm just rooting for the Cubbies. I, I've, I've been watching a lot of baseball here the last month, I'd say, and they're just so fun to watch. Their lineup is so good, and they're a really fun team to watch. I respect Arietta. I, I just really hope that you know they can get it done. And on the, in, the, on, in the AL, I think the Red Sox have been fun to watch too. I mean, they have a lot of young guys. Ortiz is cool. Um, it be cool to see the way he can end this. I mean, I can't really think of a clutcher baseball player and in, in my you know generation really for me watching baseball than him you know in the last 10 15 years or so i mean he's been ridiculous so it's gonna be cool I, i'm pulling for the cubbies just uh you know I, I know chicago loves their sports so it'd be cool to see that reaction just as uh seeing how cool it was when the red sox did it well i think we both agree that we'd like to see st louis not get that last wild card uh spot in the nl uh, do you have a preference in the AL? So it's basically you got to kind of think Toronto's probably getting one. Uh, let's just assume they do for some reason. Uh, Baltimore is in that spot now, and then Detroit, Seattle, Houston, and the Yankees have a chance. But Houston and the Yankees both have an elimination number of one, so their chance is pretty low. Yeah, they got to uh, win out, right? right but I mean, the Yankees have been doing well. But, but I mean, yeah. out of those, I would. I don't know. I kind of like Baltimore. I like I like that. I like Cameron Yards, and I could see them getting ju- juiced up to make the playoffs. So I would I would pull for Baltimore. All right, last thing, and this is you. Go ahead, tell me about the Ryder Cup. Oh man, I am so fired up for it. Um, yeah, I mean, what do I say? I mean, it's kind of different from the previous ones. This is the you know the first time you know the U.S. are pretty big favorites. I mean, they're minus two hundred to win. The, win the whole thing so it's kind of surprising to see them kind of be the favorite you know it's been the opposite the past 10 years i'd say and and, and you know not taking anything away from the u.s guys but i mean europe still is europe i mean they still have rory still have stenson rose i mean those guys are still you know the same team but you know the u.s on paper is the better team so it'll be interesting to see how they can handle being the favorite um hazel team's pretty straightforward i think they'll you know 
these courses they play in the Ryder Cups are never the hardest. They kind of want birdies. They want the excitement. So I think there's always going to be that. Um, and I still think it will come down to Sunday. I mean, you know, the players are good enough, but it would be cool to see something close and have the singles determine it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It's always a great event to watch. That Saturday is great, having the both uh, the morning and the afternoon round on Saturday with football. This is a great day. Tell the story about the about the Baba Booey screamer or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, it was Justin Rose, Henrik Stenson, Roy McIlroy just on you know a practice hole, and they're putting around the green, and they kept missing this one putt, I guess. And there's a guy in the crowd. I mean, the crowds are packed for the practice round. Like, it is full attendance. You know, it's as if it's Sunday of a major. So, you know, this one guy gets chirping him, saying, you know, you can't make that putt, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I guess he's been chirping so hard that Stenson, you know, brought him out there and said, hey, you go ahead, you make it. And right before, like, the guy gets to the ball to putt it, Justin Rose puts $100 down. And he's like, oh, all right, all right. And he just steps over it and just, fucking nails it <laughs> like never a doubt center of the cup and has a sick celebration the crowd went wild it, it was like i can't imagine a better moment in that guy's life like you guys gotta watch the video yeah if you he, haven't he, seen ha- it. he handles the reaction as if he's won 10 majors i mean that was a professional reaction like he's watched a lot of golf um rory, tweeted it. rory McElroy tweeted it so if you need a place to find it and i'm sure it's probably easy to find on the internet yeah yeah he started yeah it was him but i mean it's everywhere it's it, it's it's an electric video for sure tiger woods was awful in this tournament historically just an yeah. absolute embarrassment and it pissed me off it's probably one of the biggest reasons i disliked him yeah, yeah, because yeah. when he was playing for himself he dominated and when he was playing for the usa he sucked and i don't know why it was maybe you have a reason but is Jordan Spieth going to continue in the tradition of the best United States golfer sucking, or can we count on him at 7.35 a.m. tomorrow to go out and be a part of a winning squad with Patrick Reed and beating Stenson and Rose? Yeah, no, I totally have a, a lot more faith in Spieth. I mean, if you look at his performance as a rookie two years ago, I mean, he was a stud with Reed. I mean, I think they're the highlight of the tournament for the U.S. two years ago, so... I have full confidence in those guys, and those guys have played in the amateur U.S. tournament together. Um, and it's just different. I, I feel like, you know, when Tiger was playing, I feel like everyone on his team was a little bit intimidated for him. I feel like he was always kind of an outcast. I mean, now that we know a lot more about him, I, I think, you know, obviously there's more reasons. But, you know, I think Speed's just a, a normal kid, and I think he really buys into the format. So I, I think you're, you're not comparing apples to apples when with Speed and, and Tiger. I think Speed's a, a youthful guy who's who looks forward to this just as if it's Augusta. So are we going to win? Do we have a chance to win this? Yeah, I mean, I would say the teams are the same, and I think I would just give the boost to the U.S. being at home. Um, I mean, Minnesota is a sweet place, and, and I know they love their golf up there. It'll be a little chilly. You can, you can tell it's going to be, you know, kind of a rowdy crowd. So I'll just, I'll just go with the home team and, and just cheer for them all weekend. All right, well... I'm going to hold you to that. I'm sick of losing this all the time. How many times out of the last 10 do you think we've won? Two? Three? Two. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's we've won one of the last six, I think is what I saw today. But, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's no good. I mean, we just we just don't buy into it as if, like, the Europeans do. And But that's what I think it's good about our team now. I think we're young and experienced um, to be able to kind of take, you know, the Europeans on when it comes to just being into it and, and just buying into it. 
All right, that is it for three things. We're going to take a break and come back with Alan Sappenwall. All right, our next guest is from New Jersey and is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania. He has written about television for the Star-Ledger in New Jersey and HitFix.com and is the author of a book called TV the Book, uh, co-author with his uh, friend Matt Zoller-Seitz. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Alan Steppenwall. How's it going, Alan? Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Uh, no guest harder to book than the TV critic. Just so we we got a lot going on in September, man. Well, I mean, you can call any month you want. Nothing harder. Football, uh, doctors, uh, anything we've had on the show. Political analyst, TV critic, hardest guest. We are in demand. There's TV does not stop. Any <laughs> Any hour of the day, any day of the week, any month of the year. Yeah, it's like the it's like the NFL, right? There's no off season anymore. It's just but even the, the NFL, there's only there's only the one game on Sunday, so you can find a hole somewhere in the week where things are a little bit dead. You know, it's travel day, whatever. It's TV. There's not that, unfortunately. Alan, we have a we have a very common bond between us that few people share. We are members of the Ruptured Appendix Club. Oh, when did it happen to you? Uh, 2003, my senior year of college, uh, exam week. I had a day off, was going to play Madden all day, had a little bit of a stomach ache. And uh, by uh, by 6 a.m. the next day, I was 98% perforated and uh, spent the next almost 25 days in the, uh, 25 days in the hospital and then uh, had a bowel resectioning a few months after that. To really oh, that's that's even worse than mine. Yeah, I, I was only in the hospital about two weeks, but the worst part was they caught it early, and then they kept me waiting for surgery for about twelve hours, and it yeah. ruptured in between. Yeah, same thing happened to me. the the uh, The emergency room doctor came into the to examine me, and he he took two fingers and pushed on my belly, and he said, <laughs> "Oh, he said, yeah, you need your appendix out." He gave me about he gave me so much Demerol, the nurse was afraid to give it to me all, and then. Finally, I think maybe maybe ten hours, maybe not twelve. The surgeon at came into the room and, and and I heard him outside the room screaming at the nurses, saying, "Does anyone here know what an emergency appendectomy is?" So uh, it's hard to speculate if it was already ruptured because he didn't do any scans or anything. He like it was a two finger test, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so. And that happened the morning before the the third to last episode of Breaking Bad aired. So I reviewed that from my hospital bed with on like morphine right. and an IV drip. Yeah, it was an ideal time for either of us. It was you know senior. It was like the busy, biggest exam of my college career. You know because I was a senior, so it's all four hundred level classes. It's like that yep. week is the week I went down. And uh, for you, it's one of the biggest television shows of all time. Uh, and that's maybe a good segue to the book because. 
The book is fun, first of all. I really enjoyed it. I like lists. I'm a kind of guy who can get into something like that. Uh, I enjoy it. And the first, I don't know, 40 or 50 pages, really, is basically trying to decide which of the five statistical... Well, maybe we should back up. So why don't you explain... You didn't just kind of arbitrarily rank them. There was kind of some math behind it. Yeah, um, the idea was... We could have just done like an alphabetical list. We could have picked names out of a hat. But at a certain point, the idea is if you're saying these are the 100 best shows of all time, people are going to want to know an order and they're going to want to know what the best was. And so Matt and I put our heads together. We said, what are things that we value in TV shows as both critics and as fans of TV? What are things that the shows we love the most have in common? We came up with ultimately six categories, which are innovation, influence, consistency, performance and characterization, storytelling, and peak value. And we were each allowed to rate each show from 1 to 10. You added them all up. We did them in a spreadsheet independently of both each other and of any particular show. It was just sort of going through assigning them numbers. And when we ran it all through the spreadsheet, we discovered we had a five-way tie for first place between The Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad, The Simpsons, The Wire, and Cheers. And at that point, we decided, all right, we could try to fiddle with the numbers, but let's, it's more important than that. This, we're trying to name the best show of all time. Let's have a discussion about what we think it should be. And so we opened up Gchat, and periodically across three days, we settled it over an argument, and that whole discussion is reprinted in the front of the book. Right, and that's kind of how it starts. Now, were you kind of, a, kind of surprised when he seemingly abruptly just kind of gave up arguing and, and, and let you take The Simpsons as the top dog? Uh, no, because I, I had been pushing him and pushing him for a long time. It, it, that part of the argument is certainly the longest segment. Because, you know, for a while we were just debating the the Sopranos versus The Wire, and I finally said, you know what, I think we should talk about The Simpsons because I think it's probably better. And he pushed back, but I was able to persuade him. Uh, and the very last, like, segment of that debate was actually being done in Matt's kitchen in his apartment in Brooklyn, and we were just at laptops adjacent to one another on tables because we wanted to be able to preserve it uh, for reprinting. And so there was a little bit of talking going on in addition to what's printed there, but uh, I could see, like, on his face that I was swaying him at that point, uh, and we went from there. After the weeks of scrutiny, whether it be from people who have read it, whether it be from all the media you've both have done, do you guys still feel good with The Simpsons as the number one choice? I feel very good. I, um, I mean, people have made arguments, and I knew exactly the arguments they were going to make, but uh, I I already had those in my head, and Matt broke some of them in the book to begin with, so I'm good with it. I think The Simpsons is still easily the number one show, as great as The Wire and The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Cheers, for that matter, are. Do you get particularly interested with other people's opinions? Like, when someone's like, well, you know... When you when you do an interview and someone's like, well, I think this was number one, or I think this is number two, for you is it just kind of like, yeah, that's great? Could you just could you just care less, or uh, no, does I mean, it bring interesting that's, perspective? That's, that's what I like to hear. I, uh, you do. Okay. One of the reasons we did this book is Matt and I worked together for ten years at the Ledger, and we would have these kinds of arguments all the time, and we missed working together, and we missed having these arguments, and so we figured we would do it as a book. But it's it's not us like you know as the wise old men with long white beards on the mountaintop you know 
you know, standing up and pronouncing, these are the hundred greatest shows of all time, so it is written, so it shall be done forever, and we, and we don't want to hear from everybody else. We say in the book, like, this is our list, we really want to hear other people's. Because it's, it's always fascinating to me, to, especially for people whose opinions I already sort of know and respect, to hear the ways in which we disagree. And I've heard from critics who say, like, you're crazy to have cheers that high or to have 30 Rock that low or, or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can see where you're coming from with that. This is the way we ultimately felt. Right. What, what, were you annoyed a little bit when Rolling Stone put out a list here a week or two ago? Uh, we knew that was coming. I was actually invited to participate in that list uh, back in the summer, and I decided it was probably not a great idea to seem like a conflict, given what we were doing. And their list is interesting, but it's like we had specific parameters. We right. said a we had the scoring system, and b we sort of limited it to basically sitcoms and dramas because our feeling was at a certain point you can't be comparing. You can maybe compare The Sopranos to Cheers, but you can't compare The Sopranos to Cheers and Sesame Street and The Tonight Show and 60 Minutes and Wide World of Sports and the Match um, Game, you know, and right. and Late Night with David Letterman, right. And they were just sort of throwing everything in there, including international shows. And the only rule was basically they said, you know, give us a list of 25 or more of your favorite shows in order. So it's, I mean, there's some interesting things on the list, and it's their, their top ten overlaps a lot with ours. But I think overall it's just, it, I'm, I'm happy with the way we did it. Did you ever think when you were writing your, your when you first started writing your really deep, dive soprano episode by episode did you ever envision television would evolve to what it is today kind of the you know like i remember a time where it was like oh my god that that guy's doing a television show now like he can't do movies anymore or something and it's it's like television it seems like has taken over as just a grand way to tell stories it's like i i talk about television shows with my friends way more than I ever talk about movies now. And I just, like, did you see that somehow in the distance? Did you envision that? When did it When did it start to really become a reality for you? I mean, I think Soprano certainly started it. I, I began on this job in 1996, so a few years before that. And that was a really good period for TV. Uh, ER was on, NYPD Blue was on, Homicide, Law & Order, Friends, Seinfeld, Frasier, like a lot of the shows that are in the book right. fairly highly were on at that time. But it was still TV was really a second class kind of medium, and I would I would tell people what I did for a living, and they'd say, "Oh, that's interesting. Do you get to review movies too?" <laughs> and when I said I didn't, they almost looked sorry for me, like, "Ah, oh, poor guy, he's he's stuck on the, in the boonies with television." And that's really not the case anymore. Everyone is just so excited all the time about TV. I was at uh, my mother just retired from her job, and I was at her retirement dinner last night, and one of her coworkers came up to me and said, "Like, I've never really." paid much attention to TV before, but now I feel like I have to because it's all my friends are talking about all the time. And so she like bought a TV, she like bought a copy of my book just to give her some ideas of some things to be watching. So it's, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say TV is better than movies because I think each medium is good at different things, but TV is certainly the thing that everyone is most excited about these days. And there's so many places and so many shows and it's like, it's almost like everyone has to have a list. And when you get into a conversation, it's like, well, you have you done Narcos yet? No, Narcos is next for me. Have you done, you know, I don't know. One of the most recent ones I finally got through was Deadwood. 
And I had been putting off Deadwood for a while because I was always kind of turned off by the knowledge that Deadwood doesn't really end. Um, and then I was I was was on Twitter and someone was just just fighting to the death that Deadwood was better than The Wire. And I'm just like, all right, if 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 this is really a possibility in someone's mind, I got to see Deadwood. And I went through the three years, and I really enjoyed them, and I was left feeling exactly how I thought I would. Completely bummed that the story didn't end. And, uh, you know, it it bummed me out. And I think that that is definitely a problem with TV, and I'm almost to the point where I never watch season one, show one live anymore. I always let a show breathe, let it develop and make sure that there's going to be a, a full story there before I invest my time in it because there's just too many options. Uh, and I certainly respect why you do that and with all the options, I get that. But the, the flip side of that is so many people are doing that these days that it becomes harder and harder for shows to stay alive because if right. everybody's waiting for them to be on Netflix or on Amazon or simply to have a couple seasons under their belt, they're not getting enough viewers to be commercially viable. So that's that's a real challenge, and you know some shows have died as a result of that thinking. But I, I also don't necessarily blame you just as a consumer for saying, I don't want to watch something if it's not going to be finished. I do feel, and I make that argument in the book, that Deadwood, it doesn't have the perfect ending, but it has an ending. I think that last scene is like, if they'd had another year and lots of time to plan, I can't imagine a better final scene for the show than the one it actually has. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was a great season finale, I thought. You know, it was just there was so much more to the story I I felt like wasn't told or something, I guess. I don't know. Maybe even I I even thought to myself a little bit, did you build up into your head the idea that that was going to happen and you kind of couldn't get away from it, you know, which is a possibility too. You know, I got burned a couple years ago. Uh, CBS had a show called Vegas, or maybe it was Las Vegas. I don't remember. I uh, thought it would be stupid. Really, really enjoyed it, and then cut after one year. You know, and that was kind of the straw that broke the back for me. I was like, I just can't do this season one stuff anymore because you get into something and then cut. You know, but there are unbelievable one season shows. I mean, Freaks and Geeks is really high in the book, and I mean, I I would I couldn't imagine not watching that like that's just even though it was only one season it's probably in my top 10 for shows i mean it's one of the best pieces of media i think i've ever consumed we had an argument about that uh about whether we should be including one season shows in the top 100 as opposed to just doing a separate list of them and matt for the longest time was arguing against it he felt it wasn't fair because one season it's it's relatively easy compared to doing a long-running show to just do one great season, and we've seen that. Like, Homeland had a great first season, and then it kind of fell apart. Right. And so it seemed that. like, all right, these shows never had to go forward and never had to deal with the indignities of getting older and having to continue the story. So is it fair to compare them to something that ran five seasons, eight seasons, 13 seasons? And so we wound up artificially limiting their scores, but considering them. And so Freaks and Geeks and um, Firefly and My So-Called Life and a few other one-season shows did make the top 100. And for them to have scored as highly as they did with those restrictions suggests we really, really like them. Do you like Rush at all, the band Rush? 
Um, my wife is a little more into Rush than I am. Why? Well, there's a documentary uh, called All the World's a Stage that was really well done about them. And Jack Black is in it. And he talks about how he makes an analogy for, for bands. And he says that each band is like a, a ketchup bottle. And they flip the ketchup bottle over when they start their career. And for some bands, there's only enough ketchup in there for one good album. You know, and then for other bands, maybe there's two or three. And then for a band like Rush, they just keep tipping that ketchup bottle over and ketchup just keeps coming out and out and out. And I was thinking about that when I was reading your book, actually, because I was thinking about that with TV shows and especially like with the one season thing um, or even some shows that like The Simpsons, you know, where it had its peak. I think you guys cut it off at about that was it 13 or 16. One of those I think you guys kind of argue is peak Simpsons and stuff is still coming out, but it's maybe kind of starting to taste like weird ketchup maybe at this point. Uh, but I was thinking about that a lot in terms of TV shows. And I wanted to kind of throw that analogy out to you and see what you thought about uh, the ketchup bottle as it pertains to television. Uh, that's, an, that's an interesting analogy that Jack used. What, what I always look at is you see this a lot in, in other mediums too. Like first novels are often great and second novels are kind of terrible because the novelist, like I said, the first book in his head his whole life. And so he pours everything he has into that. And you see that with, with bands, too. The first album is often great, and then you hear about the sophomore jinx and how, like, all of their cool ideas went into the first one and they weren't sure what to do next. And you do see that happen a lot with shows where either the creators had it in their head forever or just the idea is a little too limited to sustain itself over a long period of time, but there are other shows that got better over time, and we, we list a few of them either in the top 100 or in sort of our honorable mention section, which we call the certain regard, where I wrote about like the second season of Sons of Anarchy or the second season of Chuck or certain other shows where it took them about a year to actually figure out what the show was, and then they got it, but even then they couldn't necessarily sustain it. So it really kind of varies. But uh, it's not a surprise that often the first season of a show is the best season of a show, even for a show that runs forever and ever. I think one of the most interesting sections of the book is the work in progress section. Because we always hear about how we're in the golden age of television. You know, people have thrown that out quite a bit. Uh, and there's so much going on, whether we're in the golden age or not. It doesn't matter. There's so much in progress and great things in progress, too. And I just finished season two of Narcos, and oh, I love Narcos, loved it. Really enjoyed season two of Better Call Saul. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. Obviously, even though I understand almost nothing about Game of Thrones, I do enjoy watching it every week, even though it makes me feel really stupid uh, because it makes me so confused. Um, those are just a few examples. But I wanted to ask you, uh, what show or shows uh, that are in the work in progress section do you imagine will be the highest uh, five years from now if you did part two of the list and they were no longer in progress and complete? Yeah, that, that's our hope. We had this rule that if a show was still on the air, we weren't really going to consider it for the top 100. And The Simpsons got grandfathered in and South Park got grandfathered in just because they'd been on so long that we felt like we knew them you know, inside and out. Uh, and our hope is that there will be a second edition at some point and that we'll be moving some of the current shows into the top 100. I think probably on that list, the highest ranked, the, the Americans is going to finish very highly when it's done, yes, you know, barring yes. something just catastrophic in its last two seasons, which I don't expect to happen. And if the last season of The Leftovers, which is going to be sometime this spring, 
is like up to the standard of the second season of the leftovers. I can see that finishing very highly too. Cause that second season of the leftovers that I would put, you know, on par with a lot of the great seasons of the classic HBO shows from, from the early aughts. Yeah, I absolutely love the Americans. I, they FX at times makes their heart, their shows very hard to watch after the fact. Uh, but I heard that it was on Amazon prime and I signed up for a trial basically to check that out. And the uh, Cardinals had a thing on there. Like a season-long uh, Hard Knocks. So I was like, all right, now's the time. So I signed up for the trial. And, man, I love the Americans. I zipped through that really fast. Loved it. And um, another show in progress we didn't really mention right there was Fargo. And I got to ask you about this because I loved – I've talked about – look, at you hear that this show about a movie you liked is going to be a TV show. And you just think, oh, God, what a disaster that's going to be. Right? And then they absolutely kill it. A great season one. And season two is maybe even better, and I'm loving it. And then a spaceship flies over, and I just can't get past how stupid I think that is. Tell me why I'm wrong. I love the spaceship. I mean, A, Ugh. that's the sort of thing that the Cohen brothers would actually do. They have weird non sequiturs. There's a UFO, and I think it's the man who wasn't there. It's just, And there had been hints of it the whole time. It wasn't like it just showed up in the ninth episode. People had been seeing the lights in the sky since the first one. So it, it didn't come out of nowhere, and it was the, the whole thing is kind of this weird, tall tale to begin with. So why shouldn't a UFO pop up during the shootout and save Patrick Wilson's life? Ugh, I don't know. Just for me, it's just way it's just way too out there. Fair enough. And, and it's like when you're talking about it with someone, it just sounds so ridiculous. You know, like when you're having a discussion about the show. And you're trying to get into the intricacies and, and what you enjoyed and, and, and why the storytelling's good. It's just like it's the kind of thing where I feel like if I was writing in creative writing in college and that was part of my ending, I'd get a D or be told to rewrite it. Like what a I think there are certain kinds of shows that can handle a UFO and certain that can't. And I think a lot of others, if they had tried that, I would have just said, Oh, come on. But it really felt like it fit with the tone and the style of what Fargo was doing. There's another really interesting thing that I can't remember if it was yourself or if it was Matt that mentioned or wrote, or maybe it was something kind of for both. Kind of mentioning like that there's a difference between the best books or the best shows and your favorite. You know, like just be, like for me, my favorite show of all time is The A Team. Now I know <laughs> I, I know The A Team is not the best show. The, you know, because uh, my second favorite show is The Sopranos, and that would be number one if anyone ever asked me. Not that anyone does, but there's something about there's something about those four guys that I mean, I'd never have been more than a month probably without at least watching one episode of the A Team. Like I can watch the Cup of Joe episode of the A Team anytime I feel sad and just feel so happy. And I think that's a great part about TV too is that just because something's the best doesn't mean that there isn't some redeeming qualities in it. And you guys made that point in the book, and I think that's really smart and fair. It is, although what I found is interesting is, uh, like, I feel that way more about other mediums than I do about TV. Like, my favorite movie is Midnight Run, and Midnight Run is not the best movie ever made, and I have no illusions about that. It just brings me so much joy. And, you know, some of my favorite books I know are not the best books ever written. But, like, if you ask me what my favorite TV show is, it's also The Simpsons. And The Wire and Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and these others are way up there, too. So it's at least I've been fortunate in that I've had a lot of overlap between what I think is best and what I just get a lot of personal pleasure out of. Yeah. The sportscaster here with Alan Seppenwall. He's talking about his book, 
TV the book. Just a few minutes left. Two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time. Uh, I had a lot of fun with the list too uh, that are sprinkled in the book. As I meant, even the A team got its way into two lists, so I was excited about that. Um, I did want to ask you about a show that I don't know. I feel like it's a forgotten show because I know that they've had a lot of trouble uh, with the music in it, and it's never really popped up anywhere. I think because of that. Uh, but I thought it was great, and that's Ed. Um, not really mentioned in the book. Totally forgotten, I feel like. Any thoughts on Ed? I liked Ed. Um, it was a fun show, and it is sort of frustrating that because of the music rights, and also because no studio can agree on who actually owns it, it's probably never going to be out on home video. But I also thought Ed had some problems, and I, we almost wrote about it in the Moonlighting entry, where we were talking about the idea that because of Moonlighting, everyone decided that like happy couples ruin shows. And I always looked at Ed as sort of a prime example of that, because there was no real reason that Ed and Carol shouldn't have just gotten together pretty early on, and the show just kept dragging it out and dragging it out and frustrating me and making everything seem kind of dumb, um, just because of that rule as opposed to because it actually made sense for who Ed and Carol were sort of temperamentally. So I liked it, but it had its flaws. I sort of feel that way about Silicon Valley in a different sense, like... Why do these guys always have to fail? Like I get – I think uh, my, my uh, one of the creators said, you know, if they ever were to succeed, it would be the end of the show. But I sort of disagree in the sense that I would like to find out at least for a few episodes how these guys handle succeeding to some degree. And and sometimes they, they try so hard or it seems so frustrating for yet another blunder that I think it ruins the show a little bit for me. Uh, it, it can be frustrating when they're always screwing up, but I think that in that case, their success or failure is more fundamental to what the show is about and what makes it work than the relationship on Ed was. Like, I think the best parts of Ed were never the romance. It was always, you know, bowling alley lawyer, $5 bets. I still, like, often when I'm in a diner, I will tell the waitress, burger me, and she just looks confused. <laughs> so I, like, I, I think Ed was a show where they could have just gotten together, and that becomes one small part of it, and the show itself is fine. I think if Pied Piper is a huge success. You maybe have half a season left, and then the show's done. Yeah, well, I hope that at least when there is a half a season left, there is some success for Pied Piper. Um, you mentioned that. Why is it that every other show in the history of television has been able to figure things out like music rights, but Ed is like the lone holdout that just can't... Well, it's not just... Again, it's not just the music. It was produced in part by David Letterman's production company, in part by a couple of uh, different studios. And all of them, my understanding is, all of them claim a different kind of ownership stake in it, and no one can agree, and it wasn't a big enough success, basically, for any one party to fight strongly enough to get it. To get it. Um, and so it just exists in limbo. There are a few other shows like that. Cupid, which was a show I really liked in the 90s with, with Jeremy Piven and I think Paula Marshall. That's another one where I think the studio basically doesn't exist anymore in the form it was in then. And so they can't get a home video release. And that's not even a music thing. That's just nobody quite owns it and nobody quite cares enough to say, oh, I need to own this and I need to put this out. Did you see a few couple quick things and I'll let you go. Did you see any pilots this year that you think have the potential to someday be in this book? There, I mean, there's a lot. This fall's been amazing. Um, you know, I, there was a new episode of Atlanta last night, which is Donald Glover's uh, new FX comedy about Atlanta and hip-hop. I think that's wonderful. 
Um, I'm enjoying a couple of these new network shows. I've just I've, when you called me, I was in the middle of watching the second episode of Pitch, which I'm really into. Um, there, there's a lot of good things uh, that are happening right now in TV. This is the best fall I've seen in several years. So. I'm excited, and I certainly, if we do get to do a second edition, uh, it's going to be even more packed with shows because there's been just so much TV that's been good just in the time since we finished writing it. Yeah, a sports writer that's a good friend of this program, Molly Knight, who wrote an amazing book about the Dodgers. Uh, she was a consultant for Pitch, so I have it on the, on the DVR. I'll have to check it out. You, you give it a thumbs up, huh? I do. Yeah, the ratings have not been great, so by your rules, you you might want to wait, but I think it's very good. It's very good. Uh, all right, Alan Sepinwall. Again, the book is called TV the Book. Two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention beyond the book is you have to take the time to find Alan's show-by-show reviews of The Wire. Uh, the Wire is a masterpiece. We've talked about it on the show many times. Uh, and it's enhanced more than any show I think ever has been by outside writer talking about it. Alan's, uh, take on it and articles and it's just amazing. And where are those, how there are they housed? Uh, can you, can I give the plugs exact? I have a bookmark, but I don't know off the top of my head. Where people um, there's a couple of, I wrote them for a couple of different sites. So what you can do is you can go to alansepinwall.com, which is sort of my author webpage, and somewhere in there on the further reading page, I have links to all of them there. Or if you just Google Sepinwall the Wire, uh, there's a post on hitfix.com, which is where I work now, where I believe I have individual links to every recap. Right. You can find Alan's current uh, reviews and work on hitfix.com. Uh, which is a great spot there. We missed the uh, Feinberg and Seppenwall podcast for sure. Uh, uh, I miss it too, but yeah. Dan took another job, and the people at the other job didn't want him still doing a podcast for HitFix. So, you know, maybe one day we'll do it again. It's like uh, the Mike and the Mad Dog show and Opie and Anthony, the famous, you know, radio duos that uh, we hope one day will reunite. But uh, I know you have TV to watch, so I'll let you go. But thank you very much for the time. Anything else you want to plug? My pleasure. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, just TV, TV, the book, it's, it's available everywhere. If you like it, you want to review it on Amazon. I'm told that's, that's a helpful thing. So, but just pick it up. I hope you'll enjoy it. And it's a good guide to surviving peak TV when you can't decide what things you want to be watching. We've got several hundred shows in there. (laughs) Thanks, Alan. Take care. All right, I want to thank Alan Seppenwall for making his debut on the podcast today. Really appreciated having Alan enjoyed talking television. Because I do love television, as probably all of you know from my one last thing, which seemed to be about something I'm watching on television every other week. Uh, We might as well start the book club update there. The book, TV The Book, Two Experts Pick the Greatest American Shows of All Time by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zillersites. Anthony, what do you think... I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but what do you think they picked as the number one show of all time in the book? Give me some sort of a hint. Uh, It's a 30-minute television show that airs on one of the major networks. Currently still airing. Oh, shit. Still airing. Uh, Modern Family. 
the greatest show of all time, Modern Family, is your guess? I don't know. It's still airing. I don't know. I don't the know. Simpsons. I don't know. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know cartoons were in this. Yeah, The Simpsons. I was going to say Seinfeld, but. The Simpsons edged out The Sopranos, and uh, The Wire was number three. Uh, Seinfeld, wow. I think, was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seinfeld was wow. seven. The Simpsons. That's wild. I would never have guessed that. So TV, the book, two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time by Alan Steppenwall and Matt Zoller sites is available uh, in bookstores where books are sold and, of course, in ebook format. And uh, that's it for the book, uh, TV, the book, in the book club. Uh, thanks to Alan for being on the show. Uh, also this month, uh, we have been reading, after further review, My Life, including the infamous, controversial, and unforgettable calls that changed the NFL by Mike Pereira. And I've been reading this book a little bit every day. And I talked about last week in the update about how I read about a lot about kind of what refs make and how they're paid and uh, what dictates their salary, that kind of thing. And this week, uh, I I read a lot about the plays that have changed the game and the way that the game is called. Things like the tuck rule play and the Music City Miracle and... Uh, the Holy Roller, and all those different plays that have names and, uh, you know, why they were called right at the time or wrong and what the league did to adjust. And it's really been an enjoyable read. You know, we all hate the officials and all criticize them every week. I mean, a week doesn't go by where I'm not like, that's fucking bullshit, you know, Uh, for something. But... I don't. I've never known a lot about the officials, right? You know, I mean, like your favorite official is one you don't think about. Because <laughs> if you're thinking about them, it's for a bad reason, right? Um, so Mike Pereira was the perfect guy to tell this story. Uh, I love him on TV, and uh, you know, you think that would be an easy job, but when they've tried to do it with other people, those other people have failed. Uh, So it goes to show that Mike's a special guy and his book, After Further Review, My Life, including the infamous controversial and unforgettable calls that changed the NFL, is available again in all bookstores and in ebook formats. And we'll have uh, Mike on soon, next week or the week after that. So that's the Book Club Book of the Month book for books for September. Uh, But October is right around the corner and we have been plugging uh, the books for October early because one, the two authors mean a ton to me and to the show, uh, and two, they're books that we've been anticipating. Uh, let's start with Gunslinger, the remarkable, improbable, iconic life of Brett Favre by our friend Jeff Perlman. Uh, in a second, we're going to go to an interview I did with Kyle Brandt, and that interview would have never happened uh, without the kindness of Jeff Perlman. And uh, I had a really disappointing disappointing exchange with someone on twitter this week so anthony i tweet about the book right and i'm like pre-order the book whatever and someone responds to me and they're like have you read his tweets brett Favre is my favorite qb of all time my favorite athlete and i would never read that book because the guy doesn't agree with jeff's politics and jeff jeff's politics are a bit much he is very passionate and he is very very liberal and very very left but you know what? I can't help but respect it, kind of. Like, the guy puts his money where his mouth is. He believes what he believes, and he walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk, you know? Like, 
And I respect read, that. And yeah, we, I mean, just read the book. If Brett Favre's favorite athlete, like, why don't would you hold that? Yeah, yeah, what are you doing? Who cares? Ridiculous, man. People are just ridiculous. You know, I just don't get it. And you know, there's a favorite, the famous quote from Michael Jordan about, I don't remember who it was exactly, but he said, you know, those people buy sneakers too. I don't remember what people he was talking about. Yeah, that's so true. But, you know, I can't remember, but you know, that was his reason for always like not being political. And you know, Jeff could easily take that stance too, but I kind of respect the fact that at the expense of maybe some book sales, he doesn't. Uh, but I could care less, and I can't wait to read The Remarkable, Improbable, Iconic Life of Brett Favre. It's called Gunslinger by Jeff Perlman. It's out October 25th. You can pre-order the book now on Amazon.com, and it's in the iTunes bookstore uh, as well to order it there. And on Amazon, you can pre-order it for Kindle as well. Uh, so I have an advanced reading copy that's not for sale in my hand right now. And then as soon as I'm done with Mike's book, and then the next book, I'll get to Gunslinger. Because the next book we have to talk about is one we've waited years for. And that's Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football in an American Town by S.L. Price. Uh, Mr. Price, I have often said, is probably the most talented sports writer who's ever been on this show. And uh, again, one of the nicer guys. And we're really excited about this book because we get to play a big part in promoting it. Uh, the publisher sent us 11 copies of the book to give away. Uh, it comes out on October 6th, and we can't give any away until then. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, it's available for pre-order the same way Jeff's book is. And uh, as we get closer to October 6th, which is, I don't know, two shows from now, uh, we'll talk about how we'll give them away. But we have 11 copies to give away. It's a book about football in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, uh, which is a pretty cool because one of the people who stood up at my wedding is actually from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania which if you don't know is like outside of the Pittsburgh area. Uh, so we're really looking forward to spending a lot of time uh, with that. And it's amazing because you know it's getting close to Christmas because every day it seems like someone is – we're getting books unsolicited. You know, like they're just nonstop. I got a really cool book the other day uh, about players who only played one NHL hockey game. <laughs> and like I'd love to read that, but like I'm buried. You know, the the new Bill O'Reilly book in the Killing series came out. I downloaded that. I want to read that. Um, the Bruce Springsteen book came out. I want to read that. I look. It's 800 pages on my iPhone to read. Wow. You know, so it's like, geez, I'm buried in books. And then you are downloading nerd shit. What did you buy the other day? <laughs> Emotional intelligence. What the fuck is that? Yeah. You got to get the mind right, dude. Yikes. So Anthony yeah. will be reading that while I plow through these amazing sports books. But that's the book club update for today. It's a bunch. It's a lot. But I'm passionate about all these books, especially the Jeff Perlman and the SL Price book. I want to do right by those guys because they always do right by me. They're great men, great writers, and they write great books. All right. We're going to take a break and come back with an awesome interview I did earlier today with Kyle Brandt, uh, who first came into our living rooms on the real world Chicago season 11 and uh, he spent some time on soaps days of our lives I believe was the one he was on uh, before moving into his role as executive producer of the Jim Rome show and now he's on our TVs every morning on the NFL network so let's go do that it's long enjoy it it was fun and then Anthony will be back to kind of close off the show and do one last thing they're on their feet in Pittsburgh 
New Haven, Connecticut is jumping at this moment. The Yale Bulldogs, for the first time, are national champions. All right, our next guest is from Illinois and is a graduate of Princeton. He first came to our lives on the real world before moving up to soap opera television. And for many years, he was a voice on the Jim Rome Show, where he was executive producer before moving to the NFL Network, where today he works on the wonderful morning show, Good Morning Football. And he's making a first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome. To Kyle Brandt. How's it going, Kyle? Steven, so what, what the hell did Yale win a national championship? Was that squash or something? Why would they bring the whole marching band into the squash court? What significant national championship could that have possibly been? Arguably the third most important national championship in all of college sports. Which is? Hockey. They won the hockey national championship? 2013, baby. Get out of here. I had no idea. They, you know what? I'm glad to hear that, though. I, I, I root for those guys. I always had respect for Yale and their fans because one time we went there my senior year and we played in the Yale Bowl uh, we're there on campus, which is just this dinosaur of a stadium. It's really cool. Yes. It looks like it would be like built back when Yale was like a national power and, and they moved uh, the needle and Eisenhower was president or somebody. I have no idea, but... I remember for the whole game, we were playing for Princeton. I was playing for Princeton, obviously, and their fans for the whole game were chanting, Harvard sucks, Harvard sucks. <laughs> and then I remember at, at halftime, we were like, what, what the hell is that? What are we missing? Because, you know, we heard it a lot. Why are they chanting, Harvard sucks? Whole second half, Harvard sucks, Harvard sucks. And we walk out, and we're getting on the bus, uh, and they had shirts that says, Harvard sucks. And on the back, it said, Princeton doesn't matter. So it was like, we're just going to spend the whole game jousting and fighting and cheering at Harvard because Princeton, like, who the hell are you? Why are you even out here? And so I was like, that was really, really well executed. That's something that, like, would have gone viral, as, as the kids say, you know, right now. But this is pre-internet. But tip of the hat to them, and congrats on the championship. And that's really interesting, too, because that happens in hockey now with Quinnipiac. Because to Quinnipiac, beating Yale is the most important thing in the world. But to Yale, their rival is Harvard. And if it's not Harvard, it's Princeton. So really, yeah. Quinnipiac is a distant third, and that really pisses them off. And of course, unfortunately for Quinnipiac, my brother played uh, hockey at Yale. The whole four years my brother was at Yale, Quinnipiac pretty much beat them every time, except for in the national championship game. Uh, so yeah, I got to be honest with you, I don't even, I, Quinnipiac, I, I have no idea even what that is. I feel like I've heard that before. So, I, I do not follow a college hockey. I know they have the Frozen Four, and right. what Minnesota is good, and right. Michigan used to be good. Mm -hmm. Tell me. Yeah, so Quinnipiac is probably most known for polling. You've probably often heard, you know, like the Quinnipiac poll says. Uh, yeah, okay. Right. And the school is in Hamden, Connecticut, which is like seven miles from New Haven. And the students there actually like bus in on the weekends to New Haven to go to the bars and ah. stuff. And uh, All right. for, they somehow got someone to spend a lot of money on a beautiful rink on a hill. And they got the right coach in there that built them up from Division Three hockey to Division One. And for the last uh, five or six years, they have been a national power and went to two national championship games, lost the first one to Yale, and lost last year to North Dakota. 
You know what's fun, man? I like to go into this podcast not knowing what the hell we're talking about. I really do. I had no clue that we would spend the first two minutes talking college hockey. Not a clue, and yet I like it, and I like that you're into it. Are you, Stephen, am I talking to you in Buffalo right now? Is that where you I are? I am, yes. I am in beautiful Buffalo, New York right now. It's... You know what? I, I, I'm pretty reasonably well-traveled. I really am. I've never been to Buffalo in my life, and I, I'd love to go. I just have never had reason, and... Um, you know, you talk to people who've never been to Buffalo, and it's always like the same, like lame references. Like, you know, they talk about wings right. and the Goo Goo Dolls yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Almighty. Like that's so. I'm not going to do those because I don't want to be that guy. But I've always wanted to go to Buffalo. Am I missing out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would never want to live anywhere else. Every time, really, every time I'm away and like I'm flying back and I look out the window and I see it I feel like a little blood rush down below you know <laughs> I get that feeling like oh so you get aroused by I buffalo. do I do I love it I do and I live north of the city see buffalo is kind of a place where no one really lives in buffalo like very okay, yeah. you know uh there's a few I guess neighborhoods in the city proper that people live in but not really uh everyone's kind of spread out and I live north of the city and um that's kind of a unique part of it. And another thing is, is like, you know, the wings is, is obviously it's an amazing part of the city, but the food in general, like we could, if there was an NCAA tournament bracket for food that mm-hmm. was just in Buffalo, we'd have a decent 16 things listed. You know, like, like our eight seed would be strong. Our eight seed could take down a one seed in another city. I like that because you know what? I, I, listen, this is maybe blasphemous. I don't know. Maybe this is actually works, but I, I happen to think that wings are like it's strongly overrated bar food. I, I really do, and I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, it's a mess, which is a pain in the ass. That's one thing, but like, I don't know, the chicken itself, and again, I've never had them in Buffalo, but if I go to, you know, the wing bar in California or whatever, the chicken itself is something like very knuckly and veiny, and um, it's just like it's kind of tough, and then, you know, you have to bite that like kind of sinew off the bone. Like, if you give me like a really well-breaded chicken strip or some nachos or loaded potato skins. I think they're looking down on the wing, on the power ranking. But again, I've never had the the native buffalo wings. I just I'm not a huge wing guy in general. That's a very fair point. And here's the thing. And this is often an argument in Buffalo when you're talking about where the best wings are. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes what people will say, well, there's not enough chicken on the bone at that place for yeah, me to like yeah. that wing the best. Which I think is a terrible argument because you're not really eating a chicken wing for a lot of meat on the bone. You're eating it mm-hmm. for the flavor of the sauce and the way the skin is prepared. And look at, I've had chicken wings in other cities and it's pointless. So if I had never had them in Buffalo, I wouldn't probably not like them either. I got to be honest, you know, sometimes you go to the other city and I get, I get more enjoyment out of dipping the celery into the ranch yeah, and I do the that's... wing, and and especially this is what I hate, dude. Now we're deep in the wing talk. Right. I hate when you get the basket and it's a half dozen or a dozen or whatever. I, I hate it when it's overrun by the like the the non drumstick ones because you got your drumstick right. pieces drumstick which are meatier, definitely the better. And one, then yeah. you got what's the other one? Is that the wing or something yeah, or the the, the long? Pain what the hell in the is ass that? Is what it is. Pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you, yeah. you have to like press it into your mouth, like yep. halfway down mm-hmm. your throat before you get to the meat. Whereas the drumstick, that's on a tee for you. So when the drumsticks are down, you know, like three wings to nine and a dozen, I, I, I'm going for the the celery and carrots personally. And it's funny too. This is how you know you've never had good wings because you said you want to you dip your celery into ranch. It's blue yeah. cheese here. Not ranch. Okay, see, I'm done with that too. I love blue cheese. Yes. So <laughs> this is what we're saying. Yeah. We need. I need to go to Buffalo 
and I need to have the right place and the right wing and the right sauce. I just had this experience in Philadelphia. I went there for the first time, and I did the full cheesesteak experience. And the Philly native I was with was like, no, don't go to Geno's. Or that's, that's for posers. Like, go to this place. So we went to a better place, and, like, I mean, it was delicious, but it was nuts. There's, it's, to your point, there's, like, a whole way to do it. Like, no, 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 don't, don't, that's for tourists. Don't do that crap. This right. is how we do it here. So I'm having a lot of these experiences. I feel like, like a Guy Fieri or something right now. Like, I'm just getting in with real deal down-home wings in Buffalo, <laughs> and we got to do that sometime. So we were talking before we started about how we had been looking up on each other a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know how with the real world – you can kind of think back and there'll be a reference point. Like you'll be like, all right, number three was the one with Puck and oh, Pedro, yeah. right? You know, or, sure. you know, uh, whatever this. So whenever anyone said to me, do you remember Chicago? My reference yeah. point would be a really obscure one. So, and I put this all together last night. So, okay. What do you got? What I always thought about Chicago, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. Okay. I've been, me to, too. I've been to 80 shows. And what I always thought about Chicago Real World, the only thing I could really remember about it is one of the cast members took the other cast members to his house uh, for like dinner, and he was wearing one of my all-time favorite Pearl Jam shirts. Is the red giving the, the red fly one, shirt. the red shirt with the with the yellow uh, with the yellow uh, birds, I guess, on it yes. or the arms or whatever. And I realized last night that you were the guy in the shirt. That's me. I remember that was the red given a fly shirt. Mm-hmm. I got it on the tour. I mean, I was obviously the yeah, yield the tour, tour in the yeah. summer of 98. Yep. And I saw them uh, three dates in Wisconsin. They played Alpine. And by the way, dude, this is, this, you, it's completely added yourself as like a real true Pearl Jam fan because now they've been around so long. The fans are getting a little bit older, and they're doing that thing where they always want to remind you of how many shows that they've been to. Because you said, so I didn't even have to prompt it out of you, man. You said, eight, I've been to 80 shows. What's, what's happening here is that now that Pearl Jam's getting older and its fan base is getting older, they are sliding into that Springsteen spot. If yeah. you talk to my dad or my uncle, they'll, they'll go for days about how many Springsteen shows, I mean, how many times you've seen Bruce. Pearl Jam is now becoming that. And the unbelievable thing about them is how much they appreciate that and know their space. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't very many bands like, let's say that, like, I remember when I first bought 10, feeling like this was finally mine. Like, growing yeah. up, I loved Led Zeppelin and Bad Company and Rush and bands that my dad exposed me to. And mm-hmm. when I bought 10 and, had, and, and Pearl Jam came into my life and the Seattle scene in general and then some of the bands from Southern Ontario as I got a little bit older, it was finally mine. So like when I think of the bands in that generation, no one is like Pearl Jam that is as respected by my dad's generation. Oh, is that right? You know, like, I mean, think about how many times Eddie Vedder has presented someone at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Think about yeah. how many times you've seen Eddie Vedder do Comfortably Numb with Roger Waters, Eddie Vedder mm-hmm. playing with Pete Townsend, um, you know, Mike McCready showing up at a UFO show, playing with those guys. And the uh, covers that they play, too, in yeah. their sets. Like, they cover, I mean, obviously, Bob O'Reilly, they've done a million times, but they'll do obscure things, like English Beat and things like that. I mean, they, they're into it. Right, split ends. You know, Neil Finn, he's a huge... Uh, just the other day, my brother, who's in New York City right now, is lucky enough to go to Global Citizens and see Natty Vetter and um, Chris Martin play Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. Oh, that's cool, Yeah. Yeah, because you know Ed's a big uh, is boys with uh, with the singer Neil Finnan. Yeah, they listen to see my personal story. See, what I love about Pearl Jam is that they're so easy to be a fan of right now because 
they're they're touring constantly and they're you know their social media they've found a person who does it and they do a good job with that and then like i remember you know when, whenever it was uh, maybe a decade ago when they released all their um all their concerts on cd and just put them out in stores they made it so easy and that was a full reversal because first day of school my senior year in high school was the day that no code came out and we all went out and bought the album and listened to it on the drive to a school on the first day but that was also like right in the middle of the whole Ticketmaster thing and I remember like they got this brand new album you know biggest coolest rock band in the 90s and they weren't really touring they were doing like a, a boutique tour based mm-hmm. on where they could go that wasn't uh, Ticketmaster and I remember thinking as an 18 year old god this sucks I love them so much it makes them so hard to be a fan of them I I don't want to drive to Columbus from Chicago to see them. I wish they could just make it more easy. I wish, you know, I wish Eddie would embrace being a rock star and stop being so miserable and stop accepting awards and say this doesn't mean anything. As a high school kid, like, that was hard. And now here we are 20 years later, and there's not a band that's easier to be a fan of. Two things about that. One, I got lucky in that period because I got to see my first show in 1996 because our arena had just opened and was not a Ticketmaster venue. So it was one of the 11. Oh, see. It was one of the 11 U.S. shows that they they played on the No Code Tour, so I got to see my first show. My first song was Oceans. And cool. the other thing about that is every single time I buy a ticket, I mutter under my breath, MF every other friggin' musician for not having their back in that fight. Because look awesome, at how dude. much money we pay for bullshit. Well, you know what? That if they did, if Pearl Jam did that now, it'd be a different deal. It would be there'd be social media and there would be Twitter and there'd be pressure to all these bands. Hey, you guys, Pearl Jam is doing this. Yep. Hey, you too. Why aren't you doing Nobody this? Why aren't you guys doing it? ACDC. And it's you're right. It would be totally different. And I, by the way, I, what you said about the first song that you saw them play was Ocean. Yeah. It was also my first song. And how cool is it? Like I remember going to concerts in junior high, and when you start going to concerts and. Typically, you go see a band, and they in that first song out, they like bring the house down. You know, they play like maybe their second biggest hit or like a very loud song. Like I remember the first time I saw Metallica, who I also love. They opened with Bread Fan, which is just immediate energy right from the start. And then you go to the Pearl Jam show, and they'll open with you know Indifference or Oceans or just some like a release or anything like that. That is just such like a chill thing. I remember I used to be like. What's the deal with this? Why don't they blow the roof off the place from the start? But now it's cool because they come out and it's kind of dark, and you're like, oh, man, they're kind of just chilling out for a while, and then they're going to go into Animal, or then they're going to go into with Dissident or something. And I love the way they do that because I think they kind of originated that, in my mind at least. Yeah, you get to just take it in for a second, kind of. Yeah, you're I, right. I, I love just kind of looking around, and you know, I've had some health issues, uh, and whenever it's whenever I have like a bad couple months or whatever, and I get back to a show, or maybe I couldn't go to one, I just totally enjoy that moment because it's like I get to take it in and think about everything that had happened, and mm-hmm. just kind of enjoy his voice for a second before yeah. kind of the hysteria. So I've always really appreciated that too. No, that is, and it's, I know a lot of people feel that same way. It, 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 the thing, though, that dude, I got I to gotta ask you about because I, I did my research on you and everything. Yes. So I'm going to to sportscasters.com, sports-casters.com, your your website. I'm looking at your profile. Obviously, I can tell from listening your way into music, of course. So you got your three favorite bands listed under your your profile here. All right, Pearl Jam, we hit. Rush, uh, Hall of Fame band, also my first ever concert. And then in the three-hole, okay, you, you, you've talked in this conversation alone, the music your dad got you into and Led right. Zeppelin and all these things, all these incredible bands. And you got Pearl Jam, you got Rush, two Hall of Fame bands. 
the third band listed is Helmet. Now, yes. listen, dude, I love Helmet. All right? yes. I, I used to love the song, Unsung. We, I used to have a yes. band in high school. We used to play it. Helmet had its time. But, dude, are they really worthy of the three-hole on the depth chart? I mean, that's precious real estate. Well, I don't know if you pressed me if I'd put them at three. I'm looking at it now. There's no numbers. Are they even in the top 20, dude? Well, I'm a huge Huge, huge Paige Hamilton fan. He is an absolute guitar. Is genius. that their singer? I don't know who that is. Yes, he's the singer and the guitar player, and he is Helmet. None of the he's, it's one of those bands where none of the other guys matter. You know, like it's been a rotating group of jabrones ever. You know, since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's Paige Hamilton and whoever Paige Hamilton allows to be with him. Um, and he's just a he's just phenomenal. And I don't know. It's just you know, it's it's you know what part of it is too is you know you get you you get a connection in certain ways. And one of my best friends had a brother who was a few years older than us. Mm-hmm. And that was a band that he was really into. And I looked up to him at the time. Uh, so I kind of had that connection early with them and I followed them all the way through and they have a new album coming out in October. And I love um, this. Uh, yeah. And I'm going, I'm going to go see it, them in Cleveland in a few months. I can't wait. In November. It, 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 to me, it's like, okay, cause I, I really do love helmet. But I'm looking at this list. I'm like, all right, Pearl Jam, Russian Helmet. I'd be like, hey, Stephen, who are your favorite uh, all-time NBA players? And you're like, well, you know, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> I always loved Tim Duncan. And uh, my number three favorite would be uh, Damon Stoudemire. Like, he, he's up there with Jordan. It's just like, I love Damon Stoudemire, but wow, you really love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a, yeah I, it, you know, they're probably not number three, but they're definitely in the top ten. All right. Look, respect, man. Like what you like. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I love how Paige Hamilton dated uh, Drew Paige Barrymore Hamilton. once. Yeah, got into the tabloids for a few months as Paige Hamilton or uh, uh, what's her name? Drew Barrymore's suitor. Oh wait, so the Helmet singer yeah he dated was, Drew was a suitor of Drew Barrymore like yeah. she was the Bachelorette or something. So Drew Barrymore, that means okay. So we did Tom Green, right? Yep. yep. She was married to Tom Green, and then this guy from Helmet who yeah. knew, and then who else? I feel like she's with another musician. I don't even remember, but I mean. That she she has a collection of herself of pretty cool guys. I used to love Tom Green, so that's a good look for Helmet. Yeah, it's a really good look. Didn't do them any well. I mean, still no one knows who the hell they are, really, except for me and you, I guess. I love them. It's pretty funny. I'm looking at this thing that you looked at now, and we probably filled this out when we started in 2011. It maybe could use an update. Well, Richard Dice <laughs> is represented. Uh, Tracy Porter is picking off Peyton Manning to win the Super Bowl. Well, that's still uh, you got a good collection of movies. Movie. Yeah, that's the best sports moment. Although I guess my brother winning the national championship should probably it probably yeah, rivals that. that in there. Yeah, it probably rivals that quite a bit. Um, and especially since, like, you know, you mentioned Richard Deitch, and Richard Deitch and this podcast are really kind of connected because I was the one who kind of launched his photo thing. Which photo thing? So, like, in 2013, when my brother won the national championship, at the end of the game. Uh, my brothers and I see. I had just. I told you I have. Well, I told you I had some health issues. It's Crohn's disease, and I had just. Had, oh, okay. I had a bowel resectioning that that spring, and or that I guess winter, late winter. And I told my brother, uh, his his team. He, yeah, they were have. They were in the midst of a five game losing streak, and he was miserable, miserable. And he's. Ta- I'm talking to him from the hospital. I was there from, I don't know, June, January 28th until March 13th. Okay. So we're talking, and he's miserable. He's like, "Coach won't, coach won't let us drink." You know, real first, first yeah, world yell, the worst brat problems. You know, well, they're yeah. they're ripping my gut, and I'm just listening to him, like you know, laughing about it, kind of under my breath. You know, okay, he's just so miserable. His life is miserable at Yale. You know, 
as a alpha male athlete there, right? So, so I'm like, listen, your goalie's hurt right now. He's going to come back. You guys are going to be fine. You go, you're going to make it to the Frozen Four. You'll be in Pittsburgh. And I'll be there too, I promise. So I have my surgery. I, I get home. And I get an infection. And it's not looking good for me or them for Pittsburgh. Ah, uh, really? They somehow make it. So I'm like, oh, man, I got to go now. So I gutted it, went. They won. And we, at the very end of the night at the hotel, it's kind of a party at the hotel after, I was kind of done for the night and I took my two brothers aside and we just kind of met for a second. And I don't even know what I said to them. I know I was doing the talking. You can tell in the picture that they're looking at me and I'm talking. And someone took a picture of it. And I didn't really see the picture for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was on the couch one night kind of looking through. And I saw the picture and I said, that could be the best moment of my life. That might be a picture of the best moment of my life. Oh, that's cool. And I tweeted that. And Richard, who's a friend, saw the tweet. And he was took the idea to his Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I remember that. And it started an internet sensation. And so there was... Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So there was articles like... So, like, the next day, like, CNN is calling me, like, asking about the pictures. An article about me and my brothers on CNN.com. You know, the New Haven paper did a big thing. We were on uh, Channel 4 or uh, CBS News, evening, evening News or whatever. You know, so... God, I remember. No, I remember the best moment of your life, and yeah, Richard and started our, that, and everyone picture. was contributing and sending baby pictures yeah. and all those graduation. You're the guy. I'm the guy. Our picture, like if you just like if you Google, you know, like Richard Deitch, CNN yeah. pictures. My picture with my brothers is like the picture they use like on the thing because it was the first picture. Wow, man, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I, had, I had no clue, and because I, I remember that vividly. Um, and now I'm looking at the picture. There you yeah, are. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Yeah. So I'm about, let's see, that's, uh, that was April 13th. So I'm four, four weeks from uh, bowel reconstruction right there. Damn. Yeah. How's that going? How are you feeling now? Oh, I feel pretty good. Pretty good. You yeah. know, uh, learning a new life now. Cause we both had kids at like the same time. I think mine came. You got over. kids? I have one. Uh, How old? uh, she came on June 16th and yours came July. Is that right? July 3rd. Oh, my God. So yeah. you have a brand new daughter. We both do. Yeah, we both have brand new daughters. Yeah, so I'm kind of trying to learn how to balance being a dad and being a Crohn's patient. Uh, okay. You know, but it's easy. You know, it's What's easy. your daughter's name? Her name is Paula. Paula? Yes, I named her after oh, great. my grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, Paula. All right, so yeah. I got Evelyn at home, and yeah. I found out that uh, Joe Flacco just had a baby and named her, his daughter Evelyn Flacco. I, I so. saw the tweet that Joe Flacco had a baby. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. Okay, dude, I feel like we're brothers now. We both uh, have little baby girls at home, and we both uh, like Helmet. So I'm pumped about the the gig. I was, yeah, uh, me my, too. Paula and I were watching this morning. Oh, you were? Good. Yeah, we were watching. She enjoyed it, I suppose. She kept quiet the whole time. Uh, <laughs> it works. What bums me out about it, though, is you mm-hmm. literally had the greatest idea for a podcast ever. I know. It was and, really fun. And this, I liked it. I guess this killed it. It's there's no chance of a, a re- no. It didn't kill it. It um it put it on a plane. Like uh, it put it on a plane for a while. It's it's, it's abroad. So I, I started um, the Twenty Questions podcast, and um, I only did six episodes. It was like one of those gyp seasons, you know, where sometimes you know Game of Thrones will cough up a half a season or Sopranos or whatever. And you're like, come on, man, six episodes. I've been waiting eighteen months for this thing, right. but. I was doing it once a week, and it was I would have a guest on, and I would quiz them uh, about themselves, about sports, about completely inane things, and I would keep score. And uh, it was seemed to be going really well, and I liked it. And then 
the uh, football gods came calling, and I got this job and uprooted my entire family and moved to New York and took our three-week-old daughter with us and our toddler. And um, I do not have, I have not had time to get back to the podcast yet, but I get flattered because people ask, and they say, when's it coming back? When's it coming back? I just say, I don't know. It's got to find that return flight somehow. And, and in the meantime, you know, I got, I got to focus on this. Jeff Perlman is a really good friend of mine through the show. Yeah. We've gotten close over the last few years promoting his books and talking about family and all the good things we talk about when Jeff is on. And uh, he's been great with advice. And he was one of the guests on the show. And I found out about it. And I promise you, the first thing I said when I was listening to it was like, son of a bitch, this guy thought of it. This guy thought uh, of a way to do this. Damn it. He did well, it. Well, look, it felt that way too. It did. And I get it. I mean, I, I, I we always have that feeling like uh, – when you see, you know, I've got this idea, I've got this idea, and then you just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, and then you see it on TV, and you're like, oh, someone else had that idea, and they are on a yacht right now because they had it, and they actually acted on it. That's, I mean, that's a frustrating feeling. My, my question about Perlman, if you follow him on Twitter, I'm just not sure where he comes out on Donald Trump. Like, no. he's kind of on the fence. Yeah, Does he like him? Is he going to vote for him? He won't show his hand. I can't no. tell if he likes Trump or not. Yeah, he's very wishy-washy. Very I know. It's like, yeah, Perlman, like you got to talk in opinions of this. We've got a short attention span. Can you at least come out and tell us, do you like Trump or not? Because all these cryptic tweets, uh, you're leaving our, your followers uh, wondering. You would think after the first debate, you'd know which way you're going. Hey, what, when are you going to do it? I mean, it's right. almost election day, Perlman. Can you please? And, and how do you feel about people in California uh, who waste water on their sprinklers and their lawns? <laughs> and while it, how do you feel about Hall & Oates? Do you think that they had some catchy tunes back in the day or they were just a couple of hacks? Please, let us know. If, you're following, if you follow Jeff Perlman and you're listening to this, you totally get it. If not, you're like, what the hell are these two talking about? But I know you get it, man. I feel bad because I've been tweeting about his book, about trying to get people to pre-order it because we're, it's part of our book club on the show. We have a really nerdy thing called the book club, which is really just cool. a trick to get guests who write books. Like Artie Lang was on the show. He would have never freaking came on the show if I didn't pretend we had a book club. <laughs> Smart. You, know? so you thought of that and yeah. someone else was like, damn, he thought of it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, we have a book club, man. So any author, let us plug your book and then you come on and do an interview and like we tricked Artie Lang into coming on. Uh, but we do generally try to promote these books and I've been promoting Jeff's, which comes out October 25th, Gunslinger. Uh, yep. And... Uh, Someone tweeted me back and was like, oh, F that guy. Do you read his tweets? And I mean, clearly it's someone who's been alienated by his politics. And I feel bad because I try to tell the guy like, look, at that guy, Jeff is just as passionate for his side as you are for yours. That doesn't mean. And this guy's like, Brett Favre is my favorite quarterback ever. And I love the Packers. And it's like, well, do you know how great Jeff's books are? How hard he researches and. I mean, like, you're crazy not to read it for that, and I kind of told Jeff about it, and to his credit, he's just, he's not a Michael Jordan, you know, other people buy shoes to kind of guy, and I respect yeah. that. I respect that. No, I am too, man. I mean, yeah. what the hell? And by the way, why would you not read a book about your favorite athlete because the guy who wrote it doesn't like Donald Trump? Come no, on. I couldn't just read imagine. The book. Who cares? I couldn't imagine that. That's so, I mean, that's so stupid silly to that? me. That's so silly to me, you know, because, you know, it's like, look at, I lean right, that don't take that as me being a Donald Trump supporter because I don't think he yeah. really represents Republicans, and I have not been a fan of his either. But uh, I lean right, but that doesn't mean in 2004 I didn't go to the Vote for Chain co- Change concerts that Pearl Jam was playing. I'm not offended by their left politics. That's fine with me because that's a great thing about the country is like, you know, Pearl Jam can like whatever they like vote for whoever they want i don't care and they've earned the right to they've earned the right to stand on the stage and talk about it for a few minutes it doesn't bother me at all i don't know why it alienates some people 
You know, it's I, I know what you mean because you know Eddie does get political and um it does piss some people off. Like I you know, they had the infamous moment when he went up in the George W. Bush yeah, mask. Yeah. Uh, frankly, I was more offended by that than that crappy song that they were playing about the Bush what's the name of that song you Bush know? Bush What is it? Bush Leaguer. Yeah, that song sucks. I mean, like that that's just like I feel like the rest of the band wasn't even around, and Eddie just did his thing. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't just him and a ukulele singing about like right. how you were born on third and thought you had a triple. That, so that's what I cared the most. And I remember once I went to um, I went to a concert when the Clinton Lewinsky thing was going on, and they played uh, Jeremy, but they did this like slowed down version where it, where he was like yeah. President spoke in class today. And as a fan, I didn't care. Like, I wasn't offended. I, I I know what I'm getting with Eddie now. Like, he feels that way. And, you know, it's not like he goes up there and does this political thing and puts on a crappy show. He's going to give you a two-and-a-half-hour set with, you know, 30 songs. And so if you hate it so much, like, just, just go get a beer and come back, and, you know, they'll be playing Corduroy, and you'll love it. And they put their money where their mouth is. You know, and that's something that I've given Colin Kaepernick credit for because initially I wasn't thrilled about the idea of it, uh, about his protest, not because... I didn't think he has the right to do it or because I got it all twisted up. I, you know, just for me, it just, I guess, wouldn't have been the, uh, I wouldn't have went about it that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't overly offended or anything, but, you know, the the longer it's gone on, I, I feel like the guy has kind of put his money where his mouth is. He's been true to what he said. It, You know, it's been genuine to me. So I, I respect that. You know, it's, it's, it does bother me to some degree that when the Saints and Falcons take a moment to do something different and to come to midfield and to try to promote unity, nobody seems to give a shit about that. Yeah. You know, that bums me out a little bit, but you know, I respect Colin Kaepernick for just kind of doing what he thinks is right. And even if it's not what I would do, I mean, I, I think that's part about what makes where we live great. I don't know. You know, yeah, I look, I, um, I, I don't really get offended by anything. I, I wouldn't get offended by that. If someone does something I think is dumb, I, I just go about my life. I don't understand these people constantly get offended. Yeah, yeah I can't remember ever but, being offended, truly offended. That's oh, never really man. happened to me. But, you know, the Kaepernick thing, um, if I had any, any um, I don't even want to say issue with it, if there's anything I, I thought when he did it, I'm like, so what is the plan here? So you're going to kneel, all right. Like what do you initially? It wasn't clear to me what the goal was or what he was trying to accomplish. Like if he would have said, you know, I'm I'm kneeling in protest of this law or of this politician or this this company, something real tangible that people could rally behind. And then some of the sound bites were just like, you know, until things change. And I'm like, well, that we got to do something specific here, or it's just going to last for a while and then go away. To his credit, then, he comes back and says, I'm going to donate money to this, and this is how I feel about uh, I want more uh, training and all that. Like, he started to get into the specifics, and it wasn't just this emotional thing. It was actually organized. It was very cerebral. So then I'm like, all right, we got a plan here, and then we can actually make some difference. So that's what I respected about it is that he actually had some specifics and was willing to do it for it. Otherwise, it's just... You know, I'm taking a knee until things change. Well, the, things aren't going to change if you just take a knee. You've got to have a plan, and sure enough, he did. You have uh, been on it. We talked about it briefly, a new show, and it's only a few weeks in. What's the plan for the show? How do you want to see this show evolve? If we're doing this a year from now, yeah. uh, what do you want the show to be then? Oh, that's a good question there, Diane Sawyer. I, um, no, listen, the fun of the show is 
it's every single day. It's live. It goes on for six hours on the NFL Network, and it's not ESPN. Look, let's 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 be honest. There's a lot of ESPN fatigue. We see that all the time. They make a great product. They have a lot of talented people, but this we're in an interesting era with with media and with TV and. You are probably like me in a sense, like everybody. There's a, like we have like a twenty, twenty-five, thirty years of muscle memory built up, where we just turn on ESPN. Like it's you know what channel it is on your cable, you go right to it. You don't even have to go to it because you turn on the TV and ESPN's already there. And we all watched uh, Chris Berman and his funny nicknames and Kenny Mayne and Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick, and those were our glory days for me. That was when I was in junior high. It was just ESPN all day, and now it's like well. There's some other options here, and frankly, you know, I'm getting a little tired of some of the ESPN stuff and some of their personalities and some of their angles, and so we're looking for something else. And so what we do is that, like, look, it very well could be, I don't know if I'm putting myself out on a limb here, but it could be that maybe you're not really down with Mike and Mike. Maybe you are significantly younger than Mike and Mike, or you don't like their shtick, or you don't like the things that they do, and you're like, God, I just, is there anything else to watch? And, yeah, there is. And we're one of those things. And we have, like, a very, very diverse cast between the four of us. And we talk about serious football things, and then we have a lot of fun. Um, So I guess in answer to your question, a year from now, I want a lot of those people who were disgruntled um, muscle memory ESPN fans who just did out of habit to have come over and start watching us. I have that problem with the NFL draft all the time. Tell me. Because I know I like the NFL coverage better, the NFL Network coverage better, because I love Rich Eisen, uh-huh. and, uh-huh. Uh, and I always find myself turning ESPN on when the draft starts for some reason. It's that old it's, yeah, it's, it's old it's reliable. Mind, you know, the, the you, you know it, you're comfortable with it, and you go to it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a problem. Do you ever wish you did the challenge? It's funny you ask that, and that sounds like I am about to do it or something. No, I'm not about to do it, but... So the challenge, the real-world challenge things, is that when the show's over, you know, you're doing that, and you come out of the show, and, oh, my God, what a whirlwind, and my head is not straight, and, God, I'm going to look like such an a-hole on TV, and you get off, and then they ask you, and they say, so, we got a challenge coming on down in Cabo San Lucas, and you're like, and I just thought, no, I need to get to take a break from this. I, I was not well when that show was over, just between the years, and so... I didn't do it, I didn't do it, and I really wanted to do the Hollywood thing, and I was pursuing it, and I'm like, I can't keep doing all those MTV things. So now years later, I'm in a different life, I'm a family man, I'm married for six years, and sometimes I start to think, you know, that's kind of an interesting interesting thing from my past. Like, what if just on a whim, I did it? I said, you know what, is this uh, Buna Murray Productions who makes uh, Real World? I'd like to join this year, and I'm going to go down to wherever the hell you put these people. I'm going to live in the house, and I'm going to run around some cones or scuba dive to try to win a Dodge Stratus or whatever the hell they do. Maybe that would be a fun little vacation for me. Maybe I'd win some money. And I start to think every time, I'm like, I think I might do a challenge. All it takes to talk me off from that is not my job or my marriage or my children. It's none of that. It's I'll be passing through MTV, and I'll see a promo for this season on the challenge. And it is just like this horror porn of everything I don't want to have in my life right now. It is, it is a couple of guys who look like they're roided up with bandanas on, punching each other. There's people crying. There's broken bottles. There's screaming. And there's people getting injured. There's ambulances. There's night vision cameras. If five seconds into that promo, I said, hell no, I'm not going back there. All I need to do every once in a while is watch a real-world challenge commercial, and I refresh my batteries of never wanting to do it. 
you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's like you could have been Johnny Bananas if your life went another way. Oh, wouldn't my parents be proud? I you really could have. I, I mean, look, you got, like Johnny Bananas, is he not the, like, the LeBron of those he things? Is, or yeah. maybe that's CT. So I, let's, you're giving me a huge compliment and saying I could be the Johnny Bananas. Maybe I don't know if I been. could step into that. I mean, if you watch the show now, it's a bunch of kids who can't compete at his level uh, <laughs> and him, and he either wins or comes close to winning every time. It's like, so Wait, I isn't see, it, doesn't CT still do it? He can own that guy, can't well, he? CT hasn't been on since his girlfriend died because he had the girl who was on there and right. then she I passed away. That. And he kind of, okay. I think, I think it's maybe just somewhere he can't be right now. You know, I get it, I get it. You know, and, and that is the black. <laughs> I sound like I wait too, know way too much about the challenge, but hey, it works for Bill Simmons, I guess. Uh, the the black uh, the black cloud hanging over uh, Johnny Bananas. His CT once basically picked him up on his back and dragged him. A uh, hundred yards. I know that clip. It's incredible. Game. Yeah, <laughs> but but to his credit, you know the dude got back up and wins two hundred thousand dollars a year on that stupid show. But are there, is is no. there not? I mean, and I haven't seen him. I know the characters a little bit, but is there not on Bananas titles? Is there not an asterisk? I mean, is there not a played in the non CT era of the challenge? Yeah, he's won in, in all eras. I think he's got. Oh, he has. He has six rings. If you want to call, if we want to go to that analogy, he's won six wow. times. Yeah, he's won with with CT on and with CT off. He's won more. So than that's anyone. his career. Like he does that, right? I'm sure yeah, he makes I mean, tons he made of appearances and makes money. Good for him. Dollars last year just on the show because he. Is that right. He was vicious. So he, him and his partner, they win. Okay, so they're gonna split yeah. two hundred and fifty grand or whatever. And as a twist to the show, they say to him. During the final challenge, you guys have been competing at each checkpoint. Whoever won the checkpoint got a point. Okay. Now, you have more points than your partner. Do you want to split the money with them still, or do you want to take it all for them yourself? So you go to the third place team. The person who won on third place is like, nah, we were a team. We'll split it. Second place team, which happens to be uh, Johnny's cousin and some girl. Nah, you know, we've been a team. We'll split it. Comes to Johnny Bananas. Yeah, I'll take the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks for playing, Sarah, or whoever his partner was. You know, see you later. So he's uh, he's riding the wave of the heel of uh, of. Uh, yeah, dude, go for it. If that, I mean, look, I would never do it, but obviously he's killing it. So keep doing it. I mean, that, he'll probably be doing those things until he's fifty five years old. So one of the things I loved about your podcast, and we can finish up. It's getting late. Uh, we're here with Kyle Brandt from uh, Good Morning, Good Morning Football. Football. Yeah, and then yeah. the NFL Network. Formerly of the Jim Rome Show, and I got to ask you about that real quick before we go. Yeah, go ahead, shoot. But uh, before I get to that, um, I wanted to ask you, what did I want to ask you? I totally blew my train of thought. There. Well, we were talking about Johnny Bananas. We were talking about real world. I'm trying to jog your memory. Um, did you want to ask me about well, music, just... or what do you want to ask me about? <laughs> oh, I know what it was. So one of the things what? I loved about the podcast was yeah. your uh, your willingness to put yourself out there in risk of a cease and desist, right? Like, <laughs> I will play any clip. I will play any song until you tell me not to. And one of the clips that you played was the Ultimate Warrior theme, uh, which yeah. led me to believe that you maybe were a wrestling fan back in the day because we're about the same age, probably grew up in the same era of the WWF. And I had to tell you that when I was 10 years old in 1990, I got a good report card. It's one of the very few times. Off to a good to that start. Okay. I got gotten a good report card. And my dad, usually not one for adventure, said to me, instead of me paying $30 for this gosh darn WrestleMania or whatever it is you watch, it's 90 minutes from our house. How about we go? 
And I was oh, lucky man. enough. I was lucky enough to be at WrestleMania six. All right, so oh, oh, wait a second. WrestleMania six. Now yeah, so was that, that was Hogan the Warrior, Warrior versus the Hulkster? Yes, that was. Who you were at that one? That was the one and only WrestleMania I attended. Okay, so I mean, I I know the match well, and yeah. it was the the rare time that they do two you know good right. guys against each other in that era Especially because then, yeah. you know this era. If you're a wrestling fan now who don't doesn't know that era, it, it was always like very transparent. Like the villains were like you know about uh, the Iraq or Russia or you know Erwin Arshister was the IRS and it, like it was clear villains. So this felt so cool because two fan favorites again each other and it was sort of like it felt like the passing of the torch like it felt like the end of the hogan era and the beginning of the warrior mania and they really played it up to i mean you remember the match they did the whole like test of strength and then they like you know hulk hogan punched him and warrior punched him and then they closed on each other for a double close like it was like they really scripted that match well i remember it vividly it holds up it holds up if you watch it now it, it's still entertaining they did a great job and i could almost see it from my seat at the sky dome I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sky Dome, they go way up there. Yeah, can, they don't call that the Sky Dome for nothing. Yes, you must, could, they could, must have been tiny. I could almost see it. Yeah, you know, and I remember the whole way up, my dad, he's a character, I guess, at times. And uh, a few years earlier, I was only seven for WrestleMania three, which is one of the biggest days in the history of wrestling is at the Pontiac Silverdome. And they had 93,000 people there. And the main event was Hogan and Andre. Yeah. And I was a huge Ricky Steamboat fan. And that day was also the culmination of a feud which I was just the perfect age to believe that Randy Savage actually crushed the larynx of Ricky Steamboat. You know, so it was peak wrestling love for me. And we ordered WrestleMania three, and my friends came over and we ate pizza and Steamboat won the Intercontinental Championship. And I marked out and then it came June and there was a TV taping in Buffalo and I begged and begged and begged. And my dad said, fine, I'll take you. And finally the moment comes, comes that steamboat comes out to the ring for a title defense and he's wrestling the honky tonk man. And I tell my dad, Oh, he, this guy stinks. He's going to take this guy. This guy's a jabron. I don't know if I knew that word yet, but you know, <laughs> I, was, I was shit talking the honky tonk man. And sure enough, steamboat loses the title right in front of me. And I cried on his lap the rest of the night. Cried. Ah, Steamboat lost the Intercontinental Belt to Honky Tonk right in front of me in Buffalo, New York. Wow! And then the guy who took it from Honky Tonk was the Ultimate was Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior. Yep. That's right, man. So yeah, wait, WrestleMania Six when you went? Yes. What What were some? Do you remember some of the other other matches? Oh yeah, below um, the Ultimate Warrior. Who do you have? De- uh, Demolition won the tag titles from Andre the Giant and Haku. <laughs> Wait, so I don't even remember that Andre and Naku had a tag team. Yeah, I mean, obviously Demolition, they're legends. Yeah, they were the champions. So that was. Now, was this was this when? Because Demolition did that weird thing where they had, had three, um, right Axe before and Bash, that. and then they took on Crush. Right, like, why would right, they have a third member? Because Axe was old, a lot older than Smash, and yeah. he was he was like just kind of hanging on by a thread and they didn't think he could carry the matches. So when they would, when they would travel with the titles, he didn't have to wrestle every night at all the house shows. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you know your stuff. I mean, you sound like you know wrestling as well as you know Pearl Jam. Yeah. I'm kind of a mark. I always have been. I'm not a big, I'm into it. You know, I'm not like a, like I don't follow. I I mean, I love John Cena because I respect him so much for being able to be the top guy for as long as he has, you know, but I'm not a, like, watching every monday or anything but you know what's weird man i just I, I, i'm not i'm not kidding i so i um 
I have an office right here across the street from where our studio is, and so I just came down to the CBS Broadcast Center. I walk out the door, and I, I walk across the street to the office, and there's sometimes there's people congregating outside the building because Harry Connick Jr. has a talk show here that he's doing that's down the, the hall from us, and I walk out, and as I, as I walk out the doors, I, there's like four guys in suits, and one of them, sure enough, is John Cena. Like I, I just walked past that guy like an hour ago, and he had like a TMZ photographer or cameraman like in his face and he was being <laughs> real nice about it and asking him all these dumbass questions to John Cena. But I just saw that guy and I was thinking about, God, he was so, so funny in that movie Trainwreck. I mean, yes. just unbelievable. Really and I feel like yeah. LeBron got all the pub and he deserved it because he was funny too. But Cena was incredible. Yeah, he's got a chance to maybe beat a comedy what The Rock has been to action films. I mean, he's got a chance. It's it's a long chop, but I mean, as good a chance as any wrestler has ever had. You know, is yeah. another kind of thing from WrestleMania six that sticks out that would never play today is Rowdy Roddy Piper wrestled mm-hmm. Bad News Brown in yeah. half blackface. He had painted half of his body black. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so I don't think that would go over well today. I'm trying to think. All right, so Bad News Brown. All right, if yes. I remember him right, so did I, I, what I remember about him is he had a feud with Jake the Snake. Yep. And he had didn't rats. Bad News Brown have rat? Yes, he did. But you never saw the rat because for right. some reason they weren't allowed. They could never get the clearance to have the rats. Okay, so, right, so was, I remember the rats, and they were always like they. You never saw them. But the dumbest thing about Bad News Brown, who was pretty much, in my opinion, like a paper thin character to begin with, is that like he's posed as this obviously bad news this tough guy he always had a bad attitude he wore black and i think he had a beard and like so he's like the you know the bad mother and i get it that works but then like his finishing move was so stupid and so awkward if i remember correctly wasn't it like a cartwheel kick to the back of the head or something do you remember what it was called another thing i do not think would play today maybe but i doubt it all right was it something about like the bad news brain buster or something it was called the ghetto blaster (laughs) <laughs> All right, so Dustin, though, there's nothing ghetto about a man stepping back and doing a cartwheel to kick someone in the head. Like, if you go to the inner city, if you go to, like, World Star, you don't see people cartwheel kicking each other. And it wasn't even, like, a cool martial arts move. It was very awkward. And considering the dexterity they asked of Bad News Brown to do that, he would often kind of, like, his boot would, like, hit the shoulder. And, like, it wasn't even a square shot. What a reach on that stupid move. Well, here's what I'll tell you about Bad News Brown. Maybe it'll give you a little bit of respect for the guy. He was trained by Stu Hart in the dungeon in Calgary. And he and Stu Hart, Owen Hart, Bret Hart, is that Hart family? Yeah, that the, the father was Stu, uh, okay. who was a, a really famous, famous wrestler in the way, like when it was shoot, you know? And he's known for like, the, the basement of his house in Calgary was called the dungeon. And it was basically a bunch of mats on the ground where he would take you down there and stretch you until you cried. Okay. Um, and Bad News Brown, who was Bad News Allen at that time, was one of his people. And he was very well respected, worked in Calgary, worked in a lot of the territories, and just got stuck with a bad gimmick from Vince McMahon and did his best with it, you know? And that happened to a lot of It happened to Dusty Rhodes, one of the greatest of all time, got stuck with polka dots. Yeah, yellow and black yeah. polka dots. But he ran with it, man, and he had so yeah, much did, personality at work. He and he was this yeah. big, disgusting, fat guy, and he would, but he would elbow the crap out of you, and then they gave him the sweet sapphire as his manager, and she worked too. Few things are as interesting as the history of wrestling, and that's what I love the most about it is just learning about the people. How did they get there? Where did they come from? It was such an interesting era. It won't be as interesting 20 years from now because it's 
everyone learns in the same place and this beautiful hundred million dollar place in Tampa that Vince yeah. McMahon built. You know, everyone's learning to walk to the ring the same way, to do a pile driver the same way, where, you know, in the sixties, seventies, eighties people learned in Texas or in you right. know, Harley Race was in Kansas City, Jerry Lawler was in Memphis, you know, Dusty Rhodes was in Florida, you know, Hulk Hogan was in New York, which is WWF, all these different territories, and now it's coming sort of homogenized. But if you look back at the history of it, it can be really interesting. And uh, nobody talks about it better than um, David Shoemaker, the masked man. He has a great book if you're interested for some reason. I know about it. the masked man. He write, I think he writes for Deadspin sometimes. He, I, he I, did. I feel like I've yeah. read him for yeah. He wrote for, for Deadspin, and then he worked at Grantland, and he now works for The Ringer. Uh, not only talking about and writing about wrestling, but he's also the art designer for TheRinger.com. Wow, that's cool. Good dude. And you know who he went to high school with? One of the best sports writers in the nation, Brian Curtis. Oh, cool. Yeah. Look at that, man. Yeah, God, yeah, you know awesome. everything. I'm impressed with you, man. You are well-informed. Eh, well. No, you are. I mean, you go hey, deep. We I, mean, talk I, about I thought we'd have a, a brief conversation about Bad News Brown, and you're breaking <laughs> down his training style and his, his with the basement with the mats, and he's with this guy and that guy. You know your stuff. And 35 of our 37 listeners have turned off at this point, so it works out. <laughs> oh, come on, you guys. We got those two left, though. It's all right. All right, let's finish on this. You worked uh, on the Jim Rome Show for a long time. Yeah. I uh, watched a beautiful tribute video to you last night uh, where people <laughs> made fun of your head and um, – and it was just so Jim Rome show. It's funny. I it went. Was. I've been a fan of the Jim Rome show for a long time. I actually went to a tour stop uh, that was in Buffalo. Uh, you did, yes. Damn. And that was uh, probably right around ninety-eight ish, ninety-nine, okay. somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, sounds right. You know, Jim uh, drove onto the field in a white Bronco, kind of a yep. wink, wink to OJ in Buffalo. It was really fun. It was an awesome day. Really cool to be a part of the jungle history in that way. Because tour, you don't really do tour stops anymore, obviously. No, nah, not really. Yeah, so it was cool to be a part of that. But you were a part of that show for so long and, uh, I mean, intertwined with the history of it. And I'm a huge radio nerd. If you think I talked a lot about wrestling, I mean. I believe you, dude. My, I believe you. My head is spinning over the demi- the final demise of the Opie and Anthony show over the last couple of days. What was left of it with Opie and Jim Norton splitting apart now. And I'm a huge Howard guy. and Yeah, me too. Huge sports radio guy. And I just love radio. So, uh I don't know. You've been gone for a month or two now. When you look back, yeah. like, what do you miss most or what are you proud of most or what does it mean to you to have been a part of one of the best sports radio shows of all time? Um, it's, wow, when you put it like that, it is pretty cool. I, 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 I don't know. Pride, I guess it's just like when I was on that show, when I started on that show, I got the job as like an out-of-work uh, 29-year-old actor who like – was living in a house and running out of money and single and no job. And I mean, I just remember the first thing I said to Jim was when we met finally for like an interview, I said, you know, I'm not sure you're going to like my resume, man. <laughs> it's pretty weird. And in fact, he's like, no, I love it. I want something different. And so I, you would think, I, why would I have any business getting that job? I mean, I played college football and all that, but who, a lot of people did. So the fact that I was not only able to get it and get in that door, but then keep it and like develop that kind of relationship with Jim, who's, you know, he's an entertainer, and he's, he's got his, his, his own quirks and his own drive, and you have to keep up with him because he goes fast. And so to be able to maintain it, and then I guess the listeners, you know, the other thing is to come in and not just have the listeners just hate you. Because they, you know, the, initially they, they don't want a new voice, they don't want a new person, and if you see that video you're talking about, they were actually really nice about it. Um, 
and somehow I got through it eight and a half years. I'm a huge, huge Howard guy too. Um, mm. I've been around one of these guys on the East Coast since they've been listening since day one and all that. I've been listening for, I don't know, 15 years. Um, but I, I love it, you know, and people would say, oh, you're the Baba Booey. And I was like, fine, I'll take that as a huge compliment. I love right. Gary. Yeah. Um, in fact, that with Peter Schrager and I, who's on the show with me, we were so excited because um, I shouted out Howard on the air. You know how Howard is always, everybody rips me off, everybody rips me off, and no one ever gives me credit. So we were doing a thing, that, a little a segment that was inspired by Howard. So I said on the air, I said, here in, uh, in New York, Howard Stern does this thing where, you know, he talks to his friends of the show or people on the street, and I gave him credit. And then Schrager said, hit him with the hind, and I said, hit him with the hind. So somebody tweeted us that they played it on the show. You know, it was an out bump or yep, something, or maybe it. Howard mentioned it. And mm-hmm. I, I was so, so excited and so thrilled that I haven't been able to hear it because I don't, I don't know how to find it. But, I mean, that was like a career moment for me to be mentioned on the Howard show. And, and obviously, Jim... I have a whole different relationship with because of all the years there. But I always say, like, my biggest influence is you ask me in media. It's Jim Rome and Howard Stern. When you do get a chance to listen to that clip, your favorite part is going to be that he has no idea what your show is, who the people are. He's just oh, like, he won't for yeah, sure. Do you know that because like, you heard it or you just know because Howard doesn't know sports? No, I heard it. Yeah, I heard it. Oh, I don't, how am I going to find that? Do you have well, it? Can you send it to me? I don't know if I – I can try. I Sometimes I'm not the smartest with, like, right, getting whatever. stuff. Whatever. We'll figure it out. I'll try to find it. But – you know, the, the best way to find it is his shows are on demand, and it was either this week or last week. I think it was yeah, last it was, week. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah, it was last week. So, I mean, you just you – just, and I, I'm pretty sure it was – I'm pretty sure it was in the segment before the guest. Okay. Dude, that helps. That helps because i got to find this. Yeah, I would just go because the shows are on demand on Sirius and just kind of, okay. you know, get to the part where he, he plays them all at once. It was, yeah. you know, it was like one of like 10 hit him with the Heinz he played. Oh, uh, okay, cool. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah but yeah, uh, that got us away from Jim. But yeah, I just, there's no way around it whether you're a clone or not or a fan of the show or not. The Jim Rome show is one of the best sports radio shows of all time. And it's just like with Howard, whether you're a fan of him or not, it's one, it, it, well, in Howard's case, it is the greatest radio show of all time. I don't think it's really up sure. for debate. You know, I guess unless you want to, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. No, man, look, look, totally different, but like Howard, I mean, Howard is the God, and just ask him, he'll tell you, and he's right. Yes. Um, I mean, Jim's been incredible, too. I mean, I I think Howard is the guy. Yeah. Uh, Kyle can be found on Twitter, uh, as most of us can. Yes, I'm in that new medium, Twitter, 140 characters at a time. It's nuts. He's at Kyle, B-R-A-N-D-T. That's right. his show, Good Morning Football, airs on the NFL Network uh, weekly, daily, uh, from 7 to 10 Eastern time, I believe are the times. Right? Yeah, and then it goes on. I replay it from 10 to 1 Eastern. So it's six straight hours on the most popular sport in America's own network. That's us uh, chopping it up and bringing you uh, some football talk. And we, play, we pray that it won't suffer the same fate as Freaks and Geeks, as one of the greatest one-season <laughs> things of all time. But his Not pod- a chance, man. But his podcast, 20 Questions, is available um, on uh, iTunes. Uh, yeah, I got to that. I got to give some new episodes. Yeah. I promise once I get my feet on the ground, it'll that, be back. That's what I meant about the one season, not your current show. Either. Oh, no, but, yeah, but, yeah, for sure. You're right. The, it is kind of podcast. like a Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. It's a huge compliment. I but hope yeah, that I hope it doesn't so. end up, you know, and you think, what's the best thing that was only around for one season? I always go to Freaks and Geeks. No doubt. And now there's a podcast version of that. But I pray that it's like uh, it's like one of these shows that somehow is revived on Netflix or something. Yeah, or rebooted, you know, yeah, that just type of deal. I'll get it back. It comes up. back. So we look forward to that. Anything else you want to plug? 
No, man, no. Just your podcast. I've I've looked over it. I've looked at the guests. I, you're obviously doing a good job because you have people on there who are respected in the industry and and they're they're tenured. And that. I just I just want to see the time that you know you get Stone Gossard to come on, and that's the one I want to listen to. <laughs> well, listen, I, I appreciate that very much. I didn't mean to take 56 minutes of your time, but nah, I, I don't I care, man. It's all for you. It's all good. All right, I look forward to next time. Hold on to the thread. The currents will shift. Sounds good, buddy. Later, man. All right, I want to thank Kyle Brandt for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Ellen Steppenwall. Don't forget you can find this week's podcast and last week's podcast with Don Banks on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find our work on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts are posted. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can find Anthony at Dazer with three R's. You can also email the show, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And don't I was literally just looking up how many hours I had in my days or before, just in case you didn't know how many. Because <laughs> you asked me that before. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine uh, wanted me to uh, join like a draft things, DraftKings type thing that he has. And I said, you know, it's not really for me, but... I offered to read a plug, so here it is. It's called United Games. Sports fans, there is a new live in-game interactive app about to hit the Apple and Android markets. You can now play along as you watch your favorite teams compete. Play in leagues amongst friends, against celebrities, or by yourself. The new exciting app is, however, available by invite only. For your personal invite and access code, simply text your name and the words, Let's Play to 716-570-9997 and start playing today. It's United Games, and again, text the words, Let's Play, to 716-570-9997. One last thing, you're up. Uh, Well, I guess we got to talk about the debate, right? Um, 80 million people. I know I was fired up, and all my roommates were all home for that, uh, watching it. I, it was pretty electric the first 25 minutes. Um, I don't know how much you talk about politics, but I thought it was what you expected, right? I mean, everyone said that he wasn't prepared, but, you know, there's no way he stepped on that stage without a little, little bit of preparation. I thought he did well the first half of it, and then he just got dragged and all this shit. And then just, I mean, Hillary was Hillary. I mean, she's going to be as, you know, predictable as they come, so. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm excited to see how they how they adapt to the next two. I think they'll definitely start swinging a little bit more the next one. But um, yeah, it was just cool. It's uh, you know it's different. You know, being a little bit older now and, and watching this stuff than it was even four years ago. So it's it's um, it's gonna be a, a wild two months. Guess who was not one of the 80 million people? Um. Don't say you. Yeah, me. It was you. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Saints game. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was yeah. watching the Saints game, so I only seen bits and pieces. Did you tape it? No, I was. I was never gonna watch it after because CNN when they chop that when they chop that up, it's it's awful the way they make it look. If you like watch it versus just watch their coverage, it sucks. All the news outlets suck at that. But 
I thought you would have. I thought you would have T-voted it or DVR'd it. You know, I'm just. If it was six months ago, I would have. I'm so burnt out on this election. Yeah, true, true, true. You know, yeah. it's been the longest. I can't believe how long they wait until they do one. I mean, the election's in, what, two months? It's wild. It's been the longest election cycle in my lifetime, and it's, yeah. been, it's been so divisive. You know, it's divided the country. Yeah, it's awful. You know, all the, Facebook, it's just, Ugh. and Twitter, with, and both sides are equally guilty. You know, it's not like it's. it's do you think like Facebook knows what's going on on their like website? Like it is like it's unbearable to even go on that anymore. Do they know it's just flooded with just nonsense? You like, got to think they hate it. They have to hate their website right now, right? I mean, There's no way that like Zuckerberg goes on his website with "Yo, we're killing it." Like I love what our site looks like. It's jargon. It's just nonsense. So I I bet they can't wait for this to get over with so their website can you know not look up look like a CNN message board. Yeah, I read that Trump kind of won the first 20 minutes. He was really good. Yeah, to- I totally agree with that. He was, he was quality. And then he kind of faded, and he took the bait yeah. that Hillary yeah. laid in front of him a lot. And the one thing I'll say about it is Mitt Romney absolutely crushed Barack Obama Murdered in the first debate in the first last time. And yeah. it didn't help, right? And no. I think more than any other election, I don't know that these debates matter. I think that people are so dug in. To whatever side they're on this time, that I just don't know. I yeah, mean, it's I a think, show now. You know, I think that they're really just. Obviously, I think there are maybe a few states here and there, and there is, they say, 11% of the voting population is undecided. I think that more than ever, we're going to find out that this was a really difficult election to get accurate polling numbers. And I think either one of them can win an election night, and I think that it's not going to be because of the debates. I think no, that, see who shows up. Yeah, I think it's. I just think you it's. Gotta get him to vote, right? That's yeah. what it always comes down to. So you can poll and do all as all as you want, but I mean, you got any people to show up that Tuesday or whatever it is. And by the way, uh, Anthony is walking the streets of New York City, so that's the ambient sound in this segment. We once so loud a little bit. We once had Jeff Passan uh, walking the streets of Chicago, and he almost got hit by a bike messenger. No way! Yeah, well, I got bikes flying around here. These guys go like forty miles per hour. So keep your head up. All right, one last thing for me. So I had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday, and it's a doctor's appointment that I go to every month, and I've been doing it for four years now, and. You know, I'm close with everyone there, and uh, it just so happened to work out that there was no getting around the fact that I was going to have to take Paula to this appointment. <laughs> now, there's an interesting thing about this doctor, and that is that you go there knowing that you are going to wait for him. And you do it because he's a wonderful man, and he's a great doctor, and when you get in the room with him, it doesn't matter how many people have been waiting as long as you need to have him in front of you, he's there. Uh, so you know that, and you do the best you can to avoid it by trying to get the earliest appointment you can. But my doctor every year goes to Hawaii for a month, and this was his first week back, his second day back. So it was just a jam-packed schedule, so I had to get a one fifteen appointment. I try to never go later than 10 o'clock because literally by 10 o'clock... He's 45 minutes behind. 
So I had to bring my three-month-old daughter into this environment. And God bless her. She sat there in the lobby for an hour and 15 minutes, no lie, while we waited just to go back to the room where we waited not too much longer, but a little bit longer. And she hung in there, hung in there, and we get into the room, and she had had enough. (laughs) The doctor comes in, and she was not interested in him. Also, I had to give a urine sample. So I'm, like, holding her in my left hand. She's screaming. I got my cock in my right hand, but I also have, like, the little thing that you pee in. And, of course, I have, like, a little bit of stage fright. Nothing's coming out. You know, and I'm kind of talking to the doctor at the same time, like, yeah, you know, she usually doesn't scream like this, but we were waiting a long time, you know, and like I'm having a conversation with a man with my penis in my hand, you know, trying to pee. So I'm trying to like lose the stage fright by not focusing on it, you know, and then (laughs) like 45 seconds of her screaming went on and nothing had come out and he just took the cup from me and said, you can just do this next time. So I unsuccessfully donated a urine sample, I guess much to his chagrin. And I'm sure he left the room thinking, man, why do people bring their kids to doctor's appointments? But I have to stick up. I have to stick up for my girl because if he wasn't an hour and 20 minutes after my appointment time coming into the room, she would have been fine. You know, but three month olds, they can't do anything for more than 15 minutes, especially sit in a doctor's office. Yeah. Uh-huh.